river's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. Happy elk season, everybody. Welcome back to the Trad Quest podcast. I'm your host, James Orr, and always joining us, Bob the Bowhunter Borland. What's going on, Bob? Oh, man, we're just fired up. We just got off the line with the elk nut for two hours, and uh, we got three days before I'm taking off to go elk hunting, so I'm fired up. My legs are shaking and I can't see straight. <laughs> yeah, nobody gets you as excited as Paul. He's like a, he's like a 10 year old man. He is just full of energy and he loves elk hunting. And yeah, we had a good time as always. Oh, oh my gosh. I, I was texting Bob during the podcast. Like this is too much for me. Like I can't take it. Like it's <laughs> killing me. This is too much. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Uh, I hope everybody, uh, that's, that's listening, uh, is getting ready for elk season and the guys that aren't, uh, start making plans for 2019. Life is too short to not hear bulls bugling. I promise you that. Yeah, for sure. And we know we're kind of last minute on this, but I think this is a good one to put out this week. You guys download this one before, uh, you take off to go on your hunts here at the end of the week. I know for us in Oregon and the guys in Colorado, it opens up this weekend, and another week after that, I think Montana and Idaho and Wyoming and everything will be opening. So download this one and listen to it on the way, because, of course, he put in just a ton of knowledge. Elknut is just, he he is so smart, man. He can definitely speak the language, and, and you'll learn a lot. Maybe you'll pick up a couple tips on the way that will help you seal the deal. Yeah, man, and go, and go back to episode 13. Uh, we had Paul on last year before season, and there's a whole – Another interview with Paul with a whole uh, another uh, lather of information. So, you know, definitely go uh, back and listen to episode 13. Um, you know, I just hope you guys all have uh, an awesome elk season. There are lots of bugles. Uh, I know Bob's taken off here in a couple days. Um, I'm just sharpening broadheads. I've got pretty much everything set up. Uh, yeah, and just, uh, just for every, our listeners – I'm going to try to figure out how to get on the website and <clears throat> tell everybody that if you do order anything, it's not going to be coming for a month because I'm going to be gone. So just yeah. FYI on that, um, we still have some shirts and hats. We're going to do another run after season with uh, a different uh, logo or something on there. James will pick out. So so uh, if you do order them, you're not going to get them till October. And also uh, we are going to try to do some some from the field podcasts. We'll see how that works out. Uh, if it's not too much of a pain and if we have service, we're going to try to get together once in a week, once a week and try to kind of fill you guys in and BS and tell stories and, and all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah, we, we definitely apologize. We didn't get a bunch of podcasts banked up, but we got Elknet for you and me and Bob are going to try to get on the horn, like you said, and, and let you know how, uh, how our elk hunts are going. And we've got a couple other dudes lined up that uh, we're excited about for after season. Um, so yeah, just, uh, keep, uh, stay tuned. Yeah, for sure. Good luck out there, guys. Enjoy this one. Welcome to the Trad Quest podcast. Super pumped to announce we brought back Paul Medell, the elk nut. What's going on, Paul? 
Huh, not much. Hey, thanks a lot for having me uh, back, though. I appreciate it. I, I really do. You know, it's getting close to the season now. And so, like you guys, I'm just trying to prep for that. Yeah, tis the season. Uh, we had you on last year, and we got a overwhelming uh, amount of uh, support comments. They People just loved uh, listening to that podcast, and it was real helpful for our listeners. And so we're definitely excited to have you back on today. Um, we'd love to kind of just start with uh, uh, maybe a, uh, a little bit about how last season went for you guys and, you know, uh, a wrap down on last last season's hunt. Well, that'd take the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to do that. But <clears throat> no, it, it, it was another good year. We, we did really well. And uh, the guys all, you know, pulled their weight for sure. My son and I, we had a lot of fun. We put some bulls down. And then, the, you know, because there's five of us on the, on, the, on the team there, so to speak, that we've been together for nearly 27 years. And, uh, no, it, it, it went good. We, we actually put nine bulls down, uh, last year. So there's, there's a lot of stories in itself just right there. Right. And, and all but one was a, was an over the counter bull. One of them was a Wyoming hunt we had. The rest were all uh, a couple different states, but they were all over the counter. Do it yourself. Public land, of course. And that's, that's all we do. And I believe that's what you guys do mostly, isn't it? Aren't you guys mostly over the counter and, and all public land hunts? Yeah, for the most for the most part, I know this year Bob's got a a, a couple draw tags. He's got a, a Arizona tag and a Nevada bull elk tag. So, jeez, yeah, yeah. How'd and you do that? <laughs> I just got lucky. A lot of years of applying, and yeah, for sure. I mean, we I grew up hunting public land. The last couple of years, I've gotten to get on a little private ranch over in eastern Oregon. So we we do a little bit of both. James, he's yeah. down there hunting that timber land and stuff. So. uh yeah, I mean, we're in the same game as you. We definitely don't have the funds to go out and buy the places to hunt the giant bull. So unless we draw a tag, we're stuck hunting with everybody else for the most part. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I like the challenge of it. I really do. I mean, if you want to know the truth, I would prefer hunting over-the-counter tags every year than to hunt a draw hunt every other year. And that's the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you got to hunt every year. That's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. How how many of those nine bulls were taken with uh, traditional archery equipment? Uh, you don't want to know that. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the one. Just one. Okay. Just the one bull was taken with it, and we actually uh, took it on uh, two different hunts. And after the first one, which was the very first bull killed. Uh, between us and, and, and I'll basically refer to my son and I with the first one that was taken there. He, uh, it shattered his confidence in it. You know, let's just be blunt about it, yeah. you know, oh, and not, yeah. and not, and not, uh, try to sugarcoat everything. It went, it went fine. And him and I were shooting side by side, you know, practice sec- sessions and whatnot. We were both shooting longbows. <clears throat> and so, this was the first year he ever shot this one, the, this longbow, and it's a good longbow. Uh, it's a. You guys familiar with the uh, Sapphire Hawk? Ernie McKenzie builds it out of Montana. Uh uh-uh. uh I haven't. No. No, that it, he's been around for a long time. He actually built this bow probably seven or eight years ago. So it, it's an R and D bow, and and it's fairly quick. 
it's a takedown and I, how quick, I don't know. I, I haven't shot it through a chronograph or anything, but from other bows, we have some recurves and stuff. This seems to be about the fastest bow with your eyeballs, you know, that kind of deal. And so, but no, it was fun. I was practicing with Paul and, and, and I, I was watching him just drill. And I mean, at longer distances, I'm talking 40 yards. He was just drilling everything. I mean, a pie plate, 10 out of 10. Wow. I mean, he could shoot. That's yeah. good for yeah, us. That's we usually better than me for sure. The, oh yeah, and then twenty to thirty was just nothing, and so you know his confidence was soaring really, really well there for it. And then we went on a, we actually went to Wyoming on the on the first just to 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 go out there and see what, what it was like. We'd never been to the country and hunted it. We had went several weeks before that just to kind of get a lay of the land, you know. And that's what we do when we go to new country. If we got a, a, a unit we want to hunt somewhere, even within this state or another state, we usually will try to go over there and drive it all. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, you, you try to get a lay of the land. We don't really walk anywhere. We're just trying to see, okay, here's where people will camp. Here's the few trailheads. Here's some roads. If I was the elk and I was getting pressure here, I'd go over here. You know, and, and it really can take an entire day, you know, depending on the size of the unit. And so we were going to this unit that we'd never been two before and so we did that so we did kind of get a good feel we found some awesome areas of where there was water but and stuff but you could just see that others would find it as easy as we did so we really don't focus on those things even though it had a lot of elk sign and and i'm not one for sitting water anyway even if i could sneak in on a bull and take him i have to call him in anyway that's just (laughs) that's just how we are you know it's so effective and, and, and accepting that challenge and, and truthfully guys, that's why we bow hunt. If we, if we had to bow hunt elk like you do deer, I, I don't think I'd have the same passion for it. I really wouldn't. It's, I, I, I got a call and I don't mean reckless. I just, but I just feel I have such a, a, a knowledge of the studies over the years of their sounds and when to use one and when to listen to them trying to get their feedback. And they use it against them. It's just like learning a language that, you know, we just feel the confidence is just soars. And that's what we all do in the group. And that's, that's why we take so many bulls. I don't even, in the last five years, what do we average? I mean, I would say we've averaged seven to eight bulls in the last five years, you know, in a group. And so, and these are over the counter. And, and you know, when you look back at your past experiences and, and how well it's worked, you know, you can see that there's a lot of positive there and not much negative. And, and generally speaking, we really do call in, I would say, nine to ten bulls out of every 13, maybe 14 at the most. And so the odds of us bringing them in and even those that we didn't call in right there it was because something got in the way. It wasn't like, oh, we didn't know what to do with that guy. I know it sounds odd, but that's not the truth. That is not the way it is. When something goes away and something doesn't work. I know exactly what happened. I really do. I mean, I, mm-hmm. here's what we did. Here's what happened right here. Not, oh, it just wasn't his day, or he's not aggressive enough, or that's a bunch of baloney. You can talk to elk and get them to do what you want them to do, whether they're running hard or not. It just really doesn't matter. Once you understand the representation of their emotional change in their tone, and that's really what I'm listening, listening for because, you know, I mean, elk aren't speaking words. They're not speaking English. So you have to, to listen to the emotion 
cows more cadence than anything, the intensity or emotion of a bugle, like your dog, you know, you listen to your dog and you can hear your dog make certain tones or sounds and you know kind of what he, what he or she wants. I mean, if you hear your dog growling and barking rapidly, you know, man, there's something out there. I need to go find out what's going on. But if it's just lethargically barking every 30 seconds, you know, it's nothing. He's just more annoying than anything. Or if he's whining at your feet because it's time to eat or he wants to play, he just makes these different tones without saying anything and you know basically what the dog is wanting and that's kind of what we're doing with the elk but we've labeled these names to specific sounds because how do you talk to people and say you just need to give a little more emotion you need to give less emotion you need to give a lot of emotion when you're in this situation it people are like what you know they don't know so explain explain that emotion for us will you Paul? okay I'll explain, explain it. Bulls have four different bugles. And no, no matter how you want to uh, wrap your, your head around that, that's all there is. There's some stuff that's softer and louder, meaning the same thing, depending on their emotion uh, or, or the situation and how it's unraveling. Number one, social. More social than anything, non-intimidation, is the locator bugle. Location bugle is – and we'll compare them to a cow sound. So you get the idea. It's just like a cow sound being social. You can see they're not asking for anything in that situation. It's just social talk. Bulls will use this social non-intimidation bugle. And you can tell it's usually one long note or can be two or three. And they're really not grunting. They're not doing anything about it. So it's more of a social. Now, let's say you were cow calling and a bull responded to you. Is he going to give you that location bugle? No. He knows you're there. He just heard you. You heard him. He's going to try to call you over to him. So now he changes the emotion from that long duration, two, three note uh, location bugle to a roundup. Now it's usually just one note. He heard you. Hey, I'm, I want you. I'd like for you to come over here. So now he changes that. And let me give the sound. OK. Yeah. Is that all right with you guys? Let's go Heck from yeah. a location bugle. And, and here's one. Listen to the emotion behind it. And this is a bull given a location bugle. Really nothing behind it. That's all you really have to do. If you wanted to dance through a few little notes, you can. But I'm just trying to make it really basic here. Now, that's about what you can hear a bull give that is not fired up he's showing really nothing he's in search of looking trying to find other help now if you gave that cow call and a bull was going to give he's trying to call you over a bull could even do that with another bull and, and with a bull sound and call him over that's how a lot of these satellite groups uh and bachelor groups will get together through uh, communication but if you heard now the next level of emotion which is more of a roundup it can sound like this Okay, that's what he heard. He heard you, so now he's trying to call you. He is not giving you those three notes. He changed his emotion, like, hey, come on over here. And so he's letting you know. If he wanted to chuckle a little bit, he might go. And that's all he may do, just letting you know, come on over this way. That's what he's trying to do. We know he's not trying to challenge the cow. He's not trying to get rid of her or or, or warn her. No, he's trying to bring her over. So, you get that level of emotion. Now, the next level of emotion would be if a bull wanted to challenge 
or warn or keep something away so he even shows more anger it's like you and i if we were getting in a little confrontation and we started talking and then all of a sudden something was said that we neither one of us like we raise our voice and as it got a little bit deeper maybe you and i went from 10 yards and now we're only eight yards apart our voices can raise some more because we're getting upset over this situation until the fact is that we may be face-to-face, and now we're just unleashing our fury on each other. So you see how the stages went from yelling to just crazy yelling. Well, this is what elk are doing. They're not doing anything different than that. They're not saying words. So they express their message or their line of thinking or thought for that situation through the emotion of their sound. So now if a bull had a wanted to warn or challenge something off that's his next level of emotion and he may just get a little bit more nastier in his growl and the way i'm doing a growl is i'm going to throw some voice in it kind of you know kind of so so just giving guys an idea if they're wondering hey how's he getting that more raspy little sound there that's what i'm doing so if a bull went to more of a just a challenge where he you know the location then the roundup now he went you can see he put some fierceness in that little note at the end. He put a little pitch to it. He's nothing like the roundup bugle. So he's getting mad. He's getting upset. He's telling you to stay back or else. And so the final sound that a bull will give, the the major emotion, the, the last uh, key to the puzzle is he will give a lip ball. That's the ultimate. He, nothing goes beyond that. So now if he's really fired up you, uh, for a cow or a bull, he's showing total frustration here now. And he can even show anger at it depending if he's talking towards a cow or a bull. And he'll go. <laughs> so you can see those are the four things I look for. Now, you could be in between a location and a, and a, a roundup because maybe the bull's not that worked up. And he's not that, you know, when he calls the cow, he's one bull maybe a little bit less excited as another bull. Maybe this is the first cow this guy's seen or heard in week, days. And this other guy's like, okay, this is the fifth one in the second day. He's not, he's not going to give you so much of an impact or intensity behind his come on over here. So remember, these guys are flesh and blood. We have to remember that when we're out there. We are flesh and blood. We're not programmed. We're not robots, and neither are they. So listen to their sound. And a two and a half isn't going to sound the same as a six and a half or four and a half. So that's the key. That's why you don't have to be the greatest caller in the world out there. Just represent the right sound for the right situation because those age groups will sound different in their maturity. You see, and that's how I start listening to the elk on what they're saying or if I'm going to express myself and send a message back. So with those four levels right there, you can tell where a bull is in his frame of mind and how to work that bull and what he's saying back to you. So, see, we're talking about emotion. We've tagged a certain emotion with a name. So when we say roundup bugle or challenge or lip ball, we know the level of emotion that we're trying to get the point across to. It's the same with the cow. If a cow is, is and cows, even if it's two or if it's 20 or 30 and they're moving through the timber, you'll notice they're much more vocal than when they're sitting in a sagebrush flat. So just so we get these things out of the way real quick so people know what we're talking about, well, if we refer to a sound as we proceed, a, a social cow call and a cow will go,
and they'll just talk. And that's all they'll do. You guys all heard those sounds, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, what if something gets a little separated or yearlings get pushed about around a little bit and they're playing and they get a little too far out and they're not answering either mom or the lead cow or the ones doing most of the communication? So it's like if you had your kids out there and all of a sudden you were talking with them one minute, next minute, they're not there. So what do you do? You raise your voice. You may change your tone a little bit because you're not getting a response. So now instead of saying, Joey, hey, Joe, bye bye. Joey, Joe, you know, you're looking for them. Here's the sound cows make when they're looking for these elk that are not responding back to the group like they were just minutes ago. So now she's going to go. And she drops it off. She's raising her voice and she wants to know where you guys are. And if she doesn't get a satisfying response. That's what's called what I call the regathering mew to come back over here. You guys are getting too far away. And what happens if Joey doesn't answer or those elk don't answer? They raise their voice even more. And like us, when instead of saying Joey, Joey, we're going Joey. I mean, it's just a natural thing. And animals do the same thing. And so I've watched cows do this so many times and they'll lengthen it out kind of a. And they may do that seven, eight, ten times as they're trying to get a satisfying response or a visual from these elk they're looking for. So see, you can see how they're changing that cadence or emotion of their tone. This is the message they're sending. They don't have a little calf chirp, cow chirp for every sound and it represents everything. Wouldn't make any sense. And so now the ultimate, if she's not receiving any response or if there was like a threat in the area and she wants to gather them together quick, what sound would an elk use to say there's possible danger or threat, blah, blah, blah. And so what's funny is this just happened to me the other day. I was out dinking with some elk, and I was trying not to spook them. Well, I failed. And there was probably seven or eight of them, and there was a couple calves they were dinging around. I've been watching for minutes, and they were right off of a dirt road. I had parked and walked, and this one cow saw me. And I didn't want her to see me because I was just watching their behavior and how they were dinking and what they were doing. I knew right where they were at. They were at some water. And when she did, she immediately went to that contact buzz. Immediately. She knew there was a possible threat, even though it wasn't hunting season. And she pulled those elk together and off they went. That was the last I saw of them. But that's just to show you. And I already knew they did that. But she just went right into a... And here they all shot together, just like, I mean, they came out of, there was elk coming out of the woods to meet them right there. I didn't even know we're there. And that is how effective and how fast that sound can work. And so I use this. It'll pull other elk. It doesn't only, it's not just danger. It's just telling them to, 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 to come together, to, to assemble or regather quickly. This is a more urgent, demanding tone, just like the lip ball is an urgent or much more demanding than, hey, come on over here. Much more so. Remember, your kid's in the road. No car coming. You're saying, get out of the road. It's dangerous. Car comes. Get out of the road, car. You see, you're still saying, get out of the road. But mm-hmm. way more urgency now. This is what the elk are doing. They're no different. So once you understand what each sound mean and represents to them, you don't have to see them when you hear them. Or I know what sound to use. If I got a bull hanging up and I've cow called and I bugled and I'm only 70 yards away and I can't get across an opening, I'm not going to sit there and just cow call. I'm going to ask him to come over to me. 
I'm now going to the contact buzz. If it's not urgent, I may go straight to the first little level of regathering you. And if he keeps arguing with me and says, no, I want you coming over here because he keeps giving me the roundup bugle and maybe a bunch of chuckles. And a bull, if he gets real serious, he can scold you because you're not doing as he asks. And he may just give you a short little lip ball. He's not going to give you a mean one like he would a, a challenging type bull that's getting too close to his herd. He may give you something like this. He's just letting you know, I've had enough. Get over here now. So he gets that little bit more of emotion. But you notice it wasn't nothing like a real challenging lip ball that you might hear two bulls really hammering each other over the cows right there. And they're really arguing. They're getting closer. Didn't sound anything like that. But so I'm listening to their sound. This is what he's trying to tell me through his emotion that if I don't get over there and do something because I've tried cow calling him, he's leaving. He's going to get suspicious. So I'm going to now either go to that little regathering mew to call him, and if it starts bringing him, I can hear him coming or him vocally. If not, I'll get urgent with him and hit him with the contact buzz. Tell him, no, I want you coming over here. You see, so I'm talking to these elk. And as a matter of fact, several of the bulls that I called in last year that we killed, that was some of the sounds I was using when it got push came to shove on those bulls to convince them to come on over. That was some of the last sounds before I ended up with some other ones, but just giving you an idea how you talk to them. So, uh, I, I utilized pretty much exactly these, this, uh, uh, tactic last year, Paul. I, um, (laughs) I was at, I was in a wilderness and we did a location bugle. I think it was at around one in the afternoon and we got a response about a mile away in this green up and I, I'm in new country. I've never been there before. It's my first night in this spot. <laughs> and, uh, so we, we charge towards there and we, we get to the, where we'd heard the sound and the elk had moved out of there and there was three or four wallows, rubs everywhere, elk sign everywhere. And we got on, we got onto the herd and we started dogging them and we dogged them for a couple Three hours we wow. were on them and they were moving and we were locate bugling maybe every once in a while to, to, mm-hmm. uh, find them. We, we ended up catching up to them probably in the last 45 minutes of daylight. And when we caught up to them, they were up on a, uh, a, uh, like a rim rock, like a big bench. They were above us and they just went through like a shale. Um, like a shale trail, like a slide out going up into there. And there was a big bird unit below. And I was giving lost cow sounds and the cow started talking. And then I hit them, uh, uh, with a, uh, uh, what did I do? I did a, uh, mm-hmm. uh, lip ball with chuckles mm-hmm. and the bull screamed back. And then the cow started single filing down that shell that they had just came from. And I started jumping through the downfall in the burnt unit and the cows were just coming right to me. From how far? I was were inside they of, at that point. How about inside, that point? I, was, I was inside of a hundred, but they were oh, directly, okay. but they were directly above me about, yeah. uh, you know, 80, 90 feet up above me. And, um, they started coming and the, the cows got in front of the bull and they were just charging right, coming right to me. 
and I had a calf go by me, a cow go by me, and that bull was stopped at about 40 or 50 and started raking, and I had a cow come into my shooting lane at three yards and stop, and that bull bugled, and she looked back, and I just drew back the longbow and shot her from three yards. <laughs> you about reached out and poked her. Huh? Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> Oh uh, man, that right. is nailed it right there. <laughs> yeah, but I used the regathering cow sounds to get the cows talking, yeah, and right. then I I hit them with the uh, lip ball with uh, with chuckles and fired the bull up, mm-hmm. and then I started giving them those uh, regathering cow sounds, yeah. and that's all it took. I mean that's that's how you do it right there, and you know the same thing applies to bulls. It doesn't make any difference, you know, whether you're talking to your wife or your best friend. You know, I mean, it's the same, it's the same, you know, uh, message. And so that could have easily been the bull coming right in there too, as well. Oh, yeah. As he was, never know. He, he was, he was in route, but I thought that as those cows got past me, I was going to get busted. Yep. And yep. I'm an opportunist hunting with a Oh, I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was an hour and everything right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he was, he was definitely uh, coming and he was a nice herd bull and he was fired up. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you this, when we caught up to them, they were above us and leaving. And if I didn't know what to say to them, it, yeah. there was no way those elk were going to come down to us. No, everybody would have sit there and just tried just standard cow calling. I mean, that's just common, you know, or a bugle. And I don't know if they just watch too much TV or what on that stuff. But, it, I mean, you know, how often did that really happen where they just come running back to you when you oh. just blow on a cow call? Oh, man, I... I was shocked that it all worked. I was like, "Ah, <laughs> uh, they're coming." <laughs> <laughs> Something just good might happen here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I definitely, does. I owe it to you. I mean, all I've been studying your stuff for ten years, and I felt like I was taking a, a number right out of the playbook on those elk. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because very similar things this last season. I mean, I used almost identical for these. Uh, to as far as the sounds go but i was ended i ended up throwing some you know bull sounds in there uh, to inject them i was using the cow sounds to try to bring him uh, to me because he kept trying to call us to him and i said no and so once i got him abrasive enough for the cow sounds that's when i introduced the bull sounds and that was it I mean, here they come. You know, once you get to a certain distance away and, and, and they realize a reason why the cow isn't coming, even though the cow is calling him over. And to me, that is the big thing. When I'm talking to a bull via cow sounds, I only talk to him. You know, I'm only communicating with him. If other bulls answer or respond anywhere around us, I don't say anything. I only answer when he does. And so, you know, he gains that confidence that she's choosing him and she's willing to have to, to go to him or want to be with him than the bull she's with. Because in most cases, I've introduced both sounds. And, and, and from that play on, I now know what he's going to do. I know he's going to end up answering this cow sound and I may let him have uh, the, the first one and not say anything. But as he gains his confidence, his emotions shows in his sounds, and he gets louder. He may get shorter in his call, in his bugle, but he gets louder in it. And and the minute he starts hitting that type of a level, knowing okay, his temperature went from here to here, that's when I'll cut him off right there. And when I do, I'm not giving him the YouTube cut off. You can't do that because you have nowhere to go from there. So what I like to do is to give him that 
maybe a level four, five, somewhere in there on a scale of one to ten, ten being the highest. Because once I hit him in there and cut him off with just kind of an abrasive uh, short challenge, he usually will come right back over me. And that allows me to still grow with it and work things up to the point where there's no return for him. And it usually happens within a very short period. So we're not talking 20 minutes here. You know, we're talking less than two minutes, sometimes less than a minute. It just depends on his attitude and how worked up uh, he is and how close he is. But never does he turn around and run away. I mean, he does not, not once you get him to that point. Once you've got him there where he, he he's hitting you note for note. He ain't going anywhere. You're going to have a physical appearance from this bull. And and if not, then we will tweak it and go right at him and kill him. Right. So so bottom line is uh, Paul's teaching you guys the language. So it's not just about knowing how to use a cow call or a bugle. It's knowing what the elk are saying and understanding that so that you can make a play on that situation. And I think that is what is uh, so important is understanding um, the emotion that they're in and, and what, uh, what they're saying at the time. So let's back up to the beginning of the season. I think a lot of states are opening. I think we open August 24th or 5th. Um, going in early season, where, where do you start and how, how do you use your emotion when the rut is not in, in full swing? Yeah. You know, it depends on what your target is. And in my any, case, any, I'm targeting any a bull. elk or young bulls, any, yeah. any bull. Okay. So if I'm just trying to target to kill an elk and, and I'm not referring to sitting water, getting in a tree stand, sitting trails, even though there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Calling you elk. Know, yeah. Anybody can do that. All you have to do is find the areas that they're using and you can set a stand and enough time spent there and good things can happen. And if that's a person's style, then it may be me one day because you know, as you get to your mid sixties, you know, you only have so many calling September's <laughs> left. You know, seriously, you, it's like, okay, I can't negotiate these mountains like I can right now. And, and as I have been, so I'm probably going to have to change, you know, my, my, my game plan there a little bit. And that's cool. But with calling, uh, being my main forte right now, and, and if that's what others are, then there's really only a couple things to fall on at this time that have high odds of success. And and that high odds of success would be any elk, I'm definitely going to be using cold calling or creative cow calling. Those are my main two if I don't know where the elk are, but I know an approximate area that they should be or I see fresh sign, but I'm not hearing or seeing anything. So I need to bring them to me. And so those would be my first two. And the reason being is cold calling, I, I, you know, there's not a big difference between the two. But the reason I like to separate it is so people understand where I'm using them and why I'm using them. My cold calling routine is one, and it's on the app. I have a six-minute video showing you exactly the sounds that are used, the setup, what the timber looks like, how tight it is, all that. So, you know, if somebody needs a visual, they can see it. Right there, but I always try to find an area so that elk can't really see where the source of the calling is coming from outside of 40 yards. They have to be inside that realm. And I have found over the years, many, many years, that if you force them to keep coming and go into search mode, they will break that barrier. But so many people want to see them coming from outside that 100 yard so they can get ready. Well, the elk can see in there too where the calling is coming from and that's where they'll hang up a lot of times. So I try to, you know, eliminate that. So I'm going to go to a cold calling, a lot of uh, cow calling, 
uh, calf chirping, and, and and every once in a while I may even throw a small bull sound. But it's not it's it's a it's optional. You don't have to. Just the fact that you're representing two or three elk, even a fourth, whatever, how many guys are there with you, it it, it plants a seed that there's some elk there that these elk that are hearing you don't know who you are, and because they're a herd animal, it just kills them not to know. They want to see you. Because they're like horses, they're herd animals. And so they will usually make their way over to you, but you're in their feeding area at that time. So it's only the first hour, hour and a half of daylight. After that, they start moving from that and, and, and head up to their bedding area. Now, if those elk are staying in that vicinity, and some elk will do that, just so others know that a lot of elk don't travel a mile and a half to go from feeding to bedding. Some live right there. I mean, they're only going 100 yards. There's no yeah. kidding you. I mean, it's a short distance, and they anchor down right there. And so when you have a captive audience like that, even though they're not saying anything, but you can tell by the sign they're living here. This is it. You can stay there for hours if you want. Just keep representing that little group and thrashing around, rolling some rocks like you're playing and thinking there's calves in there. I mean, make it real. You can't believe how many elk I've called in doing this. My son and I have called over a 1,000 bulls to bow range over the years. We have never counted how many cows we brought in and, and all these little things that come running into a blind or cold calling sequence. Never. It's just, there's no number. It's, they just come. And, and, and at, you know, early in the years when we used to do that, you'd get anything. Rarely ever six point bull ever came to us. And that's the truth. As many times in years as we use it, it seems to be cows, spikes, raghorns, and mostly cows and spikes first. And so because that's not our style these days, we target bulls, branch antler bulls. And so I have a little technique I use that targets bulls, which in early season, which will promote them to come much more quicker than a, than a, than a, a cow or a spike coming in first and blowing the whole thing. Because as they come in search mode, they search you out. They're looking for you. They'll get behind you, and they'll blow the whole thing. That sounds great since uh, I'm not opposed to shooting cows and spikes, but where I'm hunting this season, it's three points or better, bull elk only. Okay. You come across, and if you go out there the 20th or 25th, today's the 20th, it doesn't matter. When you have bulls herded up, in other words, little bachelor groups, two, five, six, whatever it is, when you have that group, there's only one way to call those elk in. And when I say one way, I mean high odds, not you can't use a cow call or I, I wouldn't even think of using a cow call on elk like that. Why not? Because they could care less. They're not with the cows right now. They know right where the cows are. They can walk over and be with the cows in minutes, but they don't care. Right. This is pre-rut. The only thing they care about is being in those bachelor groups and why they need to know who you, who each other are. This time of year, if I want to call a bull in, I go straight to the advertising sequence. I don't use a cow call, throw that thing in the garbage. It means nothing. I'm going to call in some cows or spikes if I got anything, but most bulls will not come to you. It doesn't mean they won't ever come to a cow call this early, but the odds are so far down in playing with this stuff over the years that what brings in the bulls on over a 90% average is all bull sounds. That's what they're trying to do is size each other up. So when they hear you, what do they think? Who's that? Yeah. They have no idea who you are. They know each other all around them and in their summer ranges by sound, sight, or smell. They know them all. 
They got their pecking orders down. They're displaying for one another. You'll see these areas where there's 50 trees torn up, 30 trees, every, all within feet of each other. These are displaying areas where they'll display for one another. They're not just banging velvet off, but they're actually doing this and getting that pecking order down. And this isn't the breeding area. This is more of a displaying area. And so with this in mind, when you come in there as a new kid on the block, you got their full attention. And you're not challenging them. You're not representing a threat. You just want to size them up like they want to size you up. So when I see these little groups like that or I see a couple little bulls, all I try to do is get within that 150, 200 yards in the cover, and I go through my sequence. And I tell you what, I, you will not believe what the odds are that they're going to show up. They just do, but they never make a sound. I can't remember on an advertising sequence where a bull hardly ever uh, sounded back to me. Nothing. What does that look like, that advertising sequence? What, what does that sound like? Well, you're just going through creative sounds. You know, you're bugling is what you're doing. But all your bugling is non-intimidational. You can give some chuckles. You can give nothing but chuckles. You know, maybe one or two and you're moaning. You may even pant through the tube as you yearn because you're feeling your oats rise. You're feeling your, your testosterone level rise. That's what's going on. That's why you don't see any of this going on in June. And, 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 you know, in April and May, but as this rut starts to, to, to pick up and when bulls have the velvet on their horns, if you've ever read a lot of the different studies, especially on captive elk, you'll find that as soon as the velvet is starting to leave their antlers, their testosterone levels rise. What does this mean? It means they start feeling their oats. They feel that the uh, things are changing in them and the oncoming rut is coming up. And so it starts getting them excited, kind of like a horse. You ever see horses on a cloudy, drizzly, foggy morning a little bit? Man, they're just praying. I'm a prancing everywhere. You can just see them, how they get excited and frisky. And then it dies down. Well, this is what elk will do. As their testosterone levels rise and they start shedding the velvet, that's happening right now. They have the desire to mate right now. The cows aren't ready, but they still have that desire. So at the part of that desire or part of that pre-rut is getting their pecking orders down. They need to know who is at the top of the food chain and who's the next one, next one, next one, next one. They need to know where they fit. That's just the elk world. Deer are no different. They need to know this. But when we're talking elk here, these elk are sizing one another up. They want to know one thing. Is it possible for them to be a breeder bull this year? That's what they want to know. See, you have to understand, elk know how many bulls or what bulls will be breeders. Because a bull has cows does not mean he's breeding those cows. And what it does mean is he can breed, say, a hot cow comes into heat. She's in 12, 15 hours. He breeds her. He's good for four, five, six, seven times, and he's done. He can't get it up anymore. What about three cows coming in? Four cows coming in. These bulls that sit outside of this uh, of his uh, uh, harem because they're afraid of him, they already know they can't whip old Joe the herd bull. They stay back and they keep bugling and bugling for that hot cow to consider them as a breeder bull when old Joe's done and can't breed her anymore. So four to six different bulls will breed that cow. One cow. Imagine three, four, five, six coming in. Those bulls all get their chance. And so what they do is start representing dominance and strength and advertise themselves around that group. So now pre-rut, these guys need to know where they fall in that pecking order. Where are they up there? Right. Are they going to be a possible breeder? So when I get out there and I just start advertising and using those sounds, it just sucks them right in. They need so to know who I am. Are you going to just known elky spots? Are you setting up on fresh sign? Are you going to places you've killed elk in the past? 
How, what are you doing opening morning? Like All the above. You're absolutely right. And I have cameras out. So right now the cameras are all showing pretty much cows. But those same cameras all of a sudden will show a small bull show, showing up in the group too, you know. Uh, right now we've had nothing but cows. But I've done this for a few years now, and it won't take much now. And all of a sudden, here comes a five point. Sometimes a five by six. Here comes a six. Here comes spikes. All of a sudden, they start joining the group. So I know they're in the area. Now, how do I know if I'm in the general vicinity of where there's bulls that should hear me? If I don't know because I'm hunting thick timber? Yeah. Rubs. There's rubs. Follow the trails. These bulls do not just aimlessly walk nowhere and start rubbing. They follow the trails. And which trails are they on? The one the cows are on. So if you start following trails and you see the fresh sign everywhere and there's no rubs, there ain't no bull on that trail. Nothing. Not yet. So keep looking for the trails and keep moving. And all of a sudden you'll find a rub here, then a rub here. And what he's doing is he's following them or he's going back to a feeding to bedding, feeding to bedding. And every once in a while he will stop and rub. And bulls aren't like whitetail. They don't rub the same tree. They could care less about that. They just rub where they start feeling their oats. They start feeling their levels rise. Or maybe they heard a little bull bugle somewhere. And they stop and they just rake a tree off the trail. Or they're just feeling it. And so they rake. In addition to rubbing their velvet off, they'll just start raking. And next thing you know, if they've been on that same trail for two weeks, my God, you got a ton of rubs on this thing. They're everywhere. We know there's a bulwark in that area. Do you notice them rubbing I, here where I'm hunting, the Roosevelt's on the coast, I've noticed that around September 7th, mm-hmm. 10th, that they start staging and displaying on main lines, like main gravel roads that'll be like above the drainages. You'll just see these rubs that, that they'll show up overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm often carrying a machete with me and I'm cutting them down and trying to remove them because it's kind of like a big billboard, like there's a hot bull right here. <laughs> uh, and I've noticed that if I bugle on those rubs, like right off the main gravel road, the bull's usually really close by. Mm-hmm. I you don't know, see that here. Yeah, yeah, we see that a lot here on the timber company lands. They will rub like right at the entrances to these big drainages. Um, well, these these roads over here, my God. <clears throat> I mean, they get hammered. <laughs> there yeah. are people I mean, there's, there's so many people. So, and mainly I, you know, when I say I don't see it, it's because I really am not on the roads at that time. I'm usually in the woods. And so I'm writing my calls. I I will see just driving from hunting spot to hunting spot. I'll be like, geez, why are these bulls rubbing right where everybody can see it? Yeah. And they must be doing it during the dark or something. We're not seeing them doing it during the day, but yeah, if that's a great place, like you say, to locate elk and bugle from the road to find them and then get in there. Heck yeah. I mean, and it depends on the bull. See, if I got bugling bulls and he's bugling there, I'm not going to go to, to the advertising sequence. No, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going straight to a slow play. If I think this bull is just answering back, see, is it, I mean, I have to read that bull. When I hear a bull respond back to a bugle, did he cut me off? Did he respond a minute later, 30 seconds later? Did I hear him on his own? If I sit there for 10, 15 minutes, do I hear another bugle? See, I'm, that's, that's my evaluation. I need, now if I heard him bugle me with three or four grunts and just screamed a heavy one, I already know he's got a hot cow. There's no dinking around waiting there 15 minutes. I already know his mindset. I know how we're going to kill that bull. So, but if I get the bull that just goes, I'm I'm walking and I hear, and that's about it. Nothing. And I go, okay, this bull is a lethargic, lazy bugle. 
Does that mean he's a nothing bull? No. It just means that's the sound he expressed. He could have been a 300-inch bull. He could have been a 350 bull. He could have been mood, right? That's it. And they have these little squeals they'll make sometimes like a lethargic or a bed bugle or whatnot. And so now I'm going to wait. I'm not calling to that bull. I'm just going to wait there. And now if it was far enough where I barely heard him, yeah, I'm going to close the distance so I make sure I hear him really well if he calls again. So if I get up there and I've waited, I'm waiting 15 minutes. I'm very patient these days because I know that bull didn't go anywhere. Ain't going no, he's right there. He's right in the vicinity. And now if he if he bugles back again or on his own, because I haven't said anything, I'm like, okay, he bugled once from there. And this is 15, 18 minutes later, whatever. He's still in the same spot. What does that tell me? He's not going anywhere. I know dang well he's staying right there. He's not leaving, going to another spot. He would have already there would have been some distance between him and that last bugle with that much time. So now I know where I have to work this bull. Now he did not say anything after that or before, nothing. So now I'm still back. Now I will definitely introduce myself, and it's going to be weak. It's not a big deal. I'm not – there's no pressure there. But I'm probably going to give him something like this right here. That's about it. And what does that do? I just let him know I'm there. There was no intimidation. I wasn't locating. I wasn't doing any of that. I'm letting him know that I'm there. And I'm way back there. I wait. And usually 15, 20 minutes goes by. He ain't answering it. And he sounds off again. In other words, he doesn't answer it immediately is what I meant. He'll answer that again or respond on his own, just like he did the other two times on his own. So then I wait. Don't push him. You challenge that bull right there, throw some cow calls. That guy's either going to shut up completely or he's gone. And this is the bull that just did his little. That was it. Barely even let me know he was there. So I already know nothing's answering. Zero. What does that tell you? There's no hot cows. There's nothing. There's other elk in the area. They're herd animals. They ain't very far away from me. But he's right there, and I know where he is. I'm going to kill that bull. That bull's done. It's just I got to be patient. And when I say that, you know, this is these are the things that we focus on and show people how to put these on the ground. God, but, I've, I've blown that situation so many times. Well, now let me show you how to kill him. This is the same. Did, did, did you see that photo of the bull my son ended up killing with that longbow this year? Yeah. And that was a yeah. really nice bull. Yeah. That is the sound I heard with that bull. That exact sound right there. So oh, we're sitting give there. Us the, give us the whole story there. Okay. That is pretty much what was happening right there. But I do this on so many elk, but this is what led up. And I'll tell you the story of that one then. And we'll continue on because it's really the same thing. We had parked and we had went up. I'll just kind of fill in the blanks real quick. And we got up maybe a half a mile and it was still dark. And we're moving up the ridge. It's steep. And you're hitting kind of a bench every couple hundred yards. You know what I mean? And you're taking a breath between those 200 yards. It's that steep. It's just straight up. And nobody wants to hunt it. And it's right off the roads, <laughs> but nobody will climb these things. And so anyway, we're going up there and it's enough big enough benches that you probably couldn't hear him from the road anyway. He's too high up and it's just super thick. And so anyway, I hear this bull. So I told Paul, I said, OK, you know, one of these lazy lethargic. I mean, it's what is it? September 2nd. I mean, it's early in the season. And so we climb up there. Don't say anything. We get about that distance. I hear him bugle just like I just demonstrated or I explained to you because this is so typical. This isn't like, oh, this one bull did this. No, we could have 30 bulls do this. This when they're when they're lazy, lethargic, pre-rut, not much going on. I've even had him do it September 20s. So you never know what's going well, on with these well, elk. 
What's the date right now on this school? Which one? The, your son's this one's launch. about September the second. Okay, it's somewhere right in the beginning of the season. Okay, <clears throat> Be, you know, and so anyway, it's right in there, and and I've used it even August thirtieth, but just in this time, this particular one, which was the most recent last year, and this is when Paul's hunting with a longbow, and so we creep up, we get probably a couple hundred, maybe two hundred fifty yards, and it starts getting super thick in this situation. Super thick uh, willows. I mean, it, we're talking 12-foot walls of this stuff. No getting around it. So I told Paul, you know, we're sitting there just trying to be patient. It's only the second, you know. And I said, you know what? I'm going to have to call this bull down. There's no way we can get up through there. We're going to have to just bring him all the way down to us. And I don't know, Dad, if he's going to do that. You know, I said, nah. I says, we're going to slow play this guy. We're going to really watch my P's and Q's on it. And to me, this is very important. So when people hear me give this in detail, don't think, oh, you don't have to do that. Oh, you don't have to do that. Oh, yeah, don't do it. And you're going to watch yourself bump bull after bull after bull. But if you want to call them all in. I use the similar strategy on every single one of them. I use this strategy on that bull that Paul ended up killing in Wyoming where he was nothing. Well, 345 inches, nothing. was uh, He was a toad. But anyway, this is so what I'm trying to show you. It works on all bulls. It makes no difference what level they are. And this was just a few days after this one. But on this bull here, so – I get him to bugle. I hear him bugle the second time. Now I introduce myself at a great distance still. What kind of bugle does he give you, Paul? Pretty much that little lazy nothing. Yeah. And we'll, we'll give you an idea. It was like this. You've heard him and you're going, ah, crap. Little spike, fork and horn, three by, you know, it's nothing. And that's what he gives. Very short. He is not trying to advertise himself. Like a bull would advertise himself every two or three minutes with more power and, and with determination as he's advertising himself to draw cows to him. This bull's feeling his oat. He's feeling the testosterone level and the rut coming on. And he's just shed his velvet, no doubt, but he's feeling it. And he could even have some cows with him. And so this is the sounds that they'll make. And he's, but one advertising bugle, you're going to hear a bull giving more of this. and he may do that two or three times you notice how i just mixed it up but what the difference is of the other bugle i gave and he may wait a minute and do that all over again he may lead out with four or five chuckles and that's it or he'll give a bugle and four or five chuckles or or two chuckles and a bugle he gets creative and he's just He's just advertising. He's throwing his sounds out left, right. He may be pacing 15, 20 yards as he does it. He never leaves the area. He's trying to attract cows to his position. And so that's the advertising. This bull right here, it doesn't mean it wouldn't have worked with him, but it's kind of low. He's really lazy. I might have had to spend more time than I wanted, but I know I can slow play this bull because I got him where he wants to be. He doesn't want to leave. So I'm going to make him or draw on his curiosity want to bring him down. And I want to try to fire him up. I want to get him vocal in this exchange, and I'll show you how I do it. So now he, I bugle mine, and I know he's not going to respond. I'm not even paying attention if he's going to because I know he's not. So I sit there. Don't move. And you, what did you give him? The same thing back? Yeah, just same little little thought. Let him know, hey, because all he, now what is he thinking? He's like up there. That's it. He's not thinking of a thread or nothing. But I'll tell you what happens after a couple minutes goes by. What he's thinking? Where is he? Where is that bull now? That bull coming up here? 
You see, because that's point. I don't know if this bull has cows or not. He could be a big bull. I didn't know what he was. You can't tell at that stage. So I just let a little bit of time go by, wait, and I hope he bugles within 10 minutes. If he doesn't, I give another bugle. Same bugle. Why? To let him know I'm not pressuring him. To let him know I stayed right there. That's why I do it. Most of the time, I will wait for him to give that third one because he already gave two, so there's a good chance he'll give a third. So especially that he knows I'm there. And so now once I give my second bugle, whether he gave a third one or not, just so you see how this is playing out, I let him know I'm right there. I haven't gone anywhere. So now I've got the bull's attention. There's no doubt he knows I am there. So now what I do is I just wait a little bit, and now I start tickling some branches and just start doing some light raking. I don't get boom, boom, like I'm logging in there immediately. I'm raking, raking, just bang, I paw on the ground with my, with my, uh, you know, like I'm, like what you're doing with your hoof, and I'm doing it with my heel and my boot, and just kicking the ground a little bit, and I'm starting to get stirred up, and I'm kind of painting the picture that this bull's down there raking. And I'm raking a little bit, raking. I wait a little bit, I stop, and then, I only stop maybe 15, 20 seconds, and that's when I throw my three cow sounds in. And my three cow sounds, because I like doing three. It just seems to be, it works great. It doesn't mean you can't only do one or five, whatever you want to do. But I like doing this right here. And that's it. I give that third one, I kind of give that little, yeah, that's it. And I don't give any more right there, nothing. I've got that bull's attention. I know I do. And so what did I just tell him now? There's a cow and a bull over there. But I'm not talking to him. I'm talking. It's just me and this cow talking or, you know, relating to each other. We're really not saying anything to each other, but it's just us two. It's, we're not, we're not, you know, pulling this third bull in, this other elk into the equation at this point. Nothing. It's just us. So now I start displaying for this cow. All right, I do a little more tickling, a little more noise, a little more rubbing a little bit harder, and now I give a few pants, kind of. And any time a bull pants, it shows excitement. He does not pant for no reason. It can be excitement toward a cow or the situation he's As he gets worked up, he can even use it as an excitement to a frustration before he bugles. And it's just, it's just showing his emotions coming out. You know, like if you're exasperating and you're getting ready to yell at somebody and you're, and you're sucking, you know, that's what I mean. And this is what elk do. You're just displaying that emotion. And anytime a bull does this, it shows a cow is coming into estrus. Bulls do not show these signs. For no reason, because they got nothing to do. No, there's a cow there. He's raking. He's just playing. And now he's panting around her. You see, I'm planting the seed in this real bull's mind. He's up the hill from me. He's roughly 250 yards from me. I'm going to say the elevation is at least 200 feet above me. Just straight up. This is not, he's on my same plane at all. He's straight up. And so I'm playing the game. I know I'm getting him up because I've done this so many times, you guys. And But I know, I know, you know, the first times I might have got impatient, blew it. I can't even remember. But I know you got to just play the game. And so I just keep rustling around. I pace back and forth. And, I, you know, I mean, breaking things, hitting things. Like I'm trying to crawl her. She's moving. I'm trying to hook her back. I start raking. And a lot of times I start giving huffs. I give what's called the huffing groan and a bull. And I do this with the reed in my mouth. You see, I'm kind of chasing her a little bit. And I'm, I'm getting excited. I didn't, I'm kind of giving her the. (laughs) 
just little stuff like that. You see, it just carries, and I may pant through it again, but I just get in those little, and I, it's the situation. I'm not talking to anything out there. It's just me and her. And I plant that seed that I got this count. And then I usually will start doing just a few little glunks. When a bull's glunking like that, you know there's a hot cow. And he's trying to taste the airs. What we've all kind of, all the studies everybody's done, we're trying to pieces, put the pieces together that he's tasting the air as he slaps his tongue against the roof of his mouth. And that's what he's doing. When a cow starts coming in, he's trying to smell it where she's dripping and stuff. And he'll just give those little And that will carry, believe me, when the bull hears all these other sounds and I throw those in and I might, and now I start giving a couple, uh, you know, a little bit more of the. I just get a little bit, you know, kind of getting that bull up there, get his ears perked up a little like, what? you know, I mean, he gets him on his feet. And I, this is, I paint this picture in my mind. Okay. With that right there, I'm getting him on his feet. I should be, he should be standing now. He's like, She's taking interest. There's a hot cow down there. This is what I've been waiting for for three weeks, whatever. You know that you have to tell yourself this stuff that your, your confidence is there that you know this bull is going to start making an action. And so I keep going through that. I don't stop. And sometimes I'm going through it for 10 minutes. All of a sudden, 175 yards away, I hear the bull do this. Ow! And that was way more than anything he's given me so far. And this, I mean, in almost every case he does that, he's trying to call the cow. And so the minute he does that, I'm waiting for him. I know he's going to do this sometime. I'm going to try to call him over with my cow call. So now I'm going to go. So you see, I'm dropping him off now. Now I'm giving him that little short regathering. You tell him to come on over. And what does he do? He usually answers me immediately, whether it's the same little one with a couple chuckles. And now I'm my bull. Do I want him coming? No. So now I go. Let him know just a little bit of defense. You stay back. That's all I give him. I don't want to give him any more. I want to be able to climb that ladder of emotion or momentum. I got to raise this because he's not ready to come yet. And I know it. But the minute I cut him off, what does this tell him again? Defensive action. I've got a cow going through the display and the sounds he would make himself if he had a hot cow present where he's now going through what we call that little slow play breeding sequence. This is what they do. So now I'm telling that bull to stay away. Stay back. You see, I've raised the ante. And when I do nine times out of ten, he cuts me right off. Now I got him. He is now getting worked up. So now I'm going to go ahead and give the cow sounds again. I may even go to the contact buzz where I'm getting urgent. And I may even take a few steps for him and just hammer that thing. Rustle some brush, and he usually will hammer me right back now. Now we're talking 15, 18 minutes has gone by here, guys. And I've got that bull from a little down. Now he is literally challenging me. And that is when I pick up the pace right there. Once I pick up the pace and he's trying to call my cow, once I give those contact buzzes, because that's what I do. I kind of. And 
he answers that instantly. I mean, he just doesn't mess around. I got him to that level now. And once I do that, I've heard him do several things. He will either answer back or he just starts raking and raking and raking. And I can hear him up there thrashing. When he does that, I will actually try to move forward on him a little bit with the cow sound and the bull. But I don't say the bull sound yet. I just answer with the cow like I'm moving toward him a little bit. And in this case, I had my son with me. And I could see him up there. He was only 25 yards from me. So we moved up a little bit more. He doesn't know Paul's there. He's kind of right on the edge of the willows. It's kind of thick. So I stayed back just enough. And once he answered that one right there, I hammered him with the challenge. And when I did, I, all I could hear was running down the deer, just coming down the hill. And when he did, I saw Paul tightening up, tightening up, looking off to his right. Because the bull doesn't know Paul's there. And I see the bull come right into my view. I'm looking right at him. And he's coming through. And I see a bunch of, at, or you know, the willows in the way where Paul is. And I see him draw. When I seen him draw, I knew the arrow had to fly any second. I mean, because you can't, you know, you can just hold 60 pounds of longbow back very long, you know. <laughs> and I see him draw. And I can hear him shoot. I hear the and crash, bang, crash. And immediately I start bugling, trying to slow him down. And so I'm looking, I'm looking, I can hear everything crash, 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 and I couldn't see the shot good at all. But I'm looking over at my son as I'm, I'm down there by the tree and I'm looking, I'm just staring at him and he's got his head hanging a little bit and he's shaking his head. I'm like, oh no, what? I mean, that bull's right there. I don't know what the distance was from him. I mean, it looked like it was 25 or so. I mean, way within his killing range. So I walk, I'm, I'm still bugling because I can hear this elk running. And so I go back to Paul and I ask him what happened. This don't look good. What happened? What, what's going on here? And he says, I hit a branch. He goes, right when I hit the branch, I saw the arrow go down. I hit him high up in the leg. He said, and all I saw was the arrow kind of disappear where I hit him. And it just happened fast. And I'm like, no, you're kidding. He was right. He goes, I know dad was broadside. Took me like 25 minutes to get that bull to that point. <laughs> and so, you know, that's not even the story. The story is that, you know, you don't want to just wound an animal too, but – that slow play where I just kept building and building and building and building and it ended up with him bugling and screaming. We cut each other off and here he come running. Especially when that, when I introduced the contact buzz, he answered and I cut him off over the top. That was it. He couldn't take no more. And I believe he was going to just keep coming running right to me. I mean, he's still at that point. What was he from me? 40, 45 yards. He went very far and he was not done coming because it was so thick. He knew he had to keep searching me out, but I could see pieces of him and. I didn't really say much once he got to that point because I saw Paul. And so anyway, kind of fast forward just a little bit. We find blood right there, find half of Paul's arrow and we're sheared off. And so we start following the blood a little bit. We're 40 minutes into following this blood, believe it or not. I mean, it's just bleeding drips, but it's when we can't find it. And we're, you know, we're really trying to make sure that what happened here. We, we, he saw a glance and he's shooting that Rothar snuffer. You guys know how big that broadhead is? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a monster. And he yeah. shoots it so good. And, you know, I mean, he, he, they fly really well out of that longbow. Well, 40 minutes or so, 35, 40, whatever it was, it was a little bit time had went by. And we knew the bull ran straight back up the mountain. And my son says, Dad, you hear those cows calling? And I go, no. He goes, yeah, they're, they're calling right where that bull first bugled. And I go, no way. He goes, yeah, they're calling right there. And so I'm listening, and I go, oh, I, I just heard like a little, I mean, barely could hear, only because he brought it to my attention. And then a few more, and then all of a sudden the bull bugled. And I'm like, that's the same dang bull. I mean, I heard his bugle. I knew it was him. You know, there was no question in my mind. And I'm like, 
you're kidding me. I said, well, obviously didn't hit him in the lungs. I mean, you know, it's 40 minutes later or so, and that bull just bugled from the, he went to the same exact betting spot. So I said, you know what? We got this bull worked up once. I said, I think I can call him right back down. And of course, my son's Mr. Negative. Are you kidding me? Dad, there's an arrow in him. I know I hit him. There's no, and I knew he did. I see the blood. And I says, well, he's, this is kind of a do or die thing. I says, you know what? We got a chance with this bull. I said, the only thing I can think of right now, because I know he's got cows and he's hurt. He was already wound up. I says, let's get close enough. And we got to the, to the willows where he went up the side of one and we're kind of just pushing our way through. And I told Paul, I said, we're only going to be like 20 yards apart and I'm not going to see you. You're not going to see me. It's just, you know, Bob and James is that thick here. It really is. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just, you've probably seen some of the repod stuff and this is the willows though. I mean, these things are growing. If you tried to run through it, you wouldn't have no clothes in 10 yards. It's just <laughs> terrible. And, and, and because some of it's dry where it's broken and the elk have raked mm-hmm. it, it's just, this stuff is brutal. And so I'm slipping through and I see some pine trees up ahead and I'm thinking anytime there's a pine tree, there's a little openings, you know, where these willows kind of can't get in there. And I'm thinking, I got to make that pine tree up there. And it's like 15 yards, not very far. And I told my son, you get over to the left and I'm going to try to bring the bull back on your side. But as you hear me call, you move up because you can't see me and I can't see you. So keep moving with me. And if anything, stay a little ahead of me. And if the bull bugles or does anything, Try to get a read on him and position for that. I said, but I am going to move up as I call. I want to put fast pressure on him. I said, I'm going to immediately try to call his cows from him. I said, that's the first thing I'm going to try to do. And so what I did was this. We got into position. I'm going to make my way to those to that pine tree. I'm not there yet. We're in the willows. He gets set. I don't see him. Okay, I figure, okay, he's ready to go. No way does he have an arrow knock. I mean, it's just too thick. You just wouldn't. That's too, too dangerous. More for the listeners than anything. So I get up there and I'm thinking, okay, first of all, I'm, I, I know he doesn't have a hot cow, but I'm going to still try to call his cow from him. So I just kind of went. <coughs> and that's what I hit him with. Just that right there. And I'm thinking, okay, I need him to answer back real quick. And if he does, I'm hitting him with a lip ball real fast. And I no more and got that out. And he just screamed a challenge right over it. And when he did... That's what I hit him with. And when I did, all I could hear him was running. He was running <laughs> along the side of the hill. He started coming down, and I'm thinking, crap, he's coming to my right. I don't want him to come to my right. Paul's on my left. So I try to get behind Paul, and I'm hoping he's reading what's going on because I can't see him. And I'm breaking things, breaking, breaking as I'm moving. I'm trying to get behind him and hoping he's advancing. And as soon as I do, I just go ahead and start raking this tree just hot and heavy. And I hit him with that. I had some a little bit of hesitation, and I went. And when I did, I could hear him run again. And he's running down the mountain. He stops. I'm going to say he's probably 55 yards. I see him come through a small opening to my right, very small. He goes through those whittles like they're nothing. He busts out, and now he's standing right there to my right at 35 yards. And this guy is just screaming. About that time, I hear the magical <sighs> flying through the air, the arrow. Paul gets a shot. I see the bull run back up the mountain. And I'm like, oh, crap. So now I'm scrambling. I'm calling and scrambling back toward my son because I wonder what the heck happened. So I run back over there, and I see, just see I can see his hat as I'm running back over. And I just see him right there. And I look at him. I'm like, you know, my hands open. What? What? And he just points up the hill. 
And I look up the hill, and I see the bull rolling down the mountain. He's rolling right <laughs> And I'm like, no way, we called the bull back in. And so anyway, he banked up against a tree. It was so steep, and he was dead on a doornail. We go up there, and that arrow hit him high in the leg, just kind of like what he thought it hit, and ran through the front part of his brisket. Guess what that that longbow? It shot completely through it, through his brisket, but the front part of it, through the little bone patch in there, and stuck in his off leg. And it was, but that's where the arrow busted off. It was stuck into the leg itself, the bone. Wow! And you know when that bull came down, I never even saw him make a limp. Nothing. It was like he ran down there, he screamed. It wasn't like, oh, I'm hurt. I mean, you know how big that rothead is. You guys have seen him. Oh yeah. He did not even miss a beat. But fortunately, his second shot was there on the money, and down he rolled and killed that bull with a longbow. But what a well, morning what do you that th- was. Do you think the first call in, since he didn't smell you and you guys just, you know, heard oh, him? Yeah, he he just, bull all the way. Bull he, yeah, he just thought he got in a confrontation and, and wasn't sure what was going on. He thinks he got stabbed by one of them willows or something. You know? yeah. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, when they smell you or they have a concrete visual, you guys know as well as I do. They keep going. They don't run to their bed 200 yards up there and lay right. back down. You, it doesn't mean they run out of the country, but they definitely put some distance between what they saw was a threat. And his cows never left, which we didn't even know he had cows at that time. But until Paul heard him, that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to try to call the cows away. If I if I would have never heard the cows or knew they were there, I would have probably tested the waters more with that uh, contact. But eh, I'm up here now, higher up where I heard you. You know, I, I would have probably went to something like that and hope he answered it so I could fire right over the top of him again. You see, I would have probably planted the seed a little bit more. But since I knew the cows were there. I thought, man, I'm just going to try to call those cows down because because a bull doesn't have a cow in heat. It doesn't mean he won't be aggressive. But what, but what I tell people is if I'm going to go up there and be aggressive with a bull that has cows, your odds are much higher if he has one in estrus. Much higher. So much more defensive. And I mean – it just trips his trigger instantly when you're that close and you try to call the cow away. And I've been in instances where the bull had cows. None were in heat and tried to call them away. It's a 50-50. Some of them have said nothing. They just walked out of there. They were gone. Mm-hmm. Others, they came unglued. So it's a so you know, this is back there. So this is September 2nd, public land, Idaho, thick, thick, thick understory. Yes, and you guys called a bull in that was just fine betting all day long. I mean, he probably wasn't going to come to a location bugle. You weren't going to glass yeah, no. him up. None of that, but you found him and capitalized and even called him back a second time. So, I mean, that just goes to show you that understanding these vocalizations are so important. Um, You alluded to the slow play. Could you touch on that a little bit? Well, that is the slow play. So what you want to – how about this? Here's the sounds you need to focus on to do a slow play, and a slow play can be used anytime in September. I use it for bulls that have that lazy one or two bugles, that's the bull I use it for. And you never know what he's going to be. He could be a monster. He could be a smaller guy. you know. And so don't think because you hear this lazy little lethargic bugle that it can represent antler size. No, not even close, especially early on. But the slow play, you want to learn how to do, uh, really focus on uh, giving a pant, and you can do it with your voice, you know, and I do it through my bugle. 
My pan is no more than... And and it's easy to replicate when you've heard bulls do it. When you're calling them, they'll start doing that themselves. And 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 so, oh, that's what he's doing, you know. So that's your pan. So and everybody knows how to make cow sounds. So the cow sounds are usually give two soft ones and then the wine. And as far as giving the 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 I've explained how to do the regathering mute. You guys don't need me yep. to do that one again, right? You already did that. And then as far as the contact buzz, for those who are unfamiliar, how to make that, you make it with your throat. I'm going, eh, eh. I'm making that sound. And then I'm barely touching the reed with the center of my tongue. Yeah, and so, the, so it vibrates you, a little. Yeah, you let the reed kind of get loose and vibrate in the back yep. uh, on your roof of your mouth. Yeah. And it's the combination of the two. Play with it. If you get too much uh, tongue pressure, it'll be more of a... <laughs> See, and you don't want that. You want to, and, and if you put too much tongue pressure, you can't go, because it's not relaxed enough in your throat. So that voice inflection from your throat, you want to go, that's what you want to do in addition to going, and just practice with it, just play with it. And again, Cows make different sounds like that from their different age groups. So you don't have to be perfect. Just get that nasal, yeah, and I'll tell you. Just I've, I've, trigger. I've heard them do that year-round in the woods. Oh, yeah. I've got footage of them doing it in April, May, June, where they're yeah. just communicating with each other or tell them to hurry up where they got separated. And, I've again, just a, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I've given the herd a calf sound. Just mm-hmm. at work, like I see a herd, and I give them a little, yeah. Yep. And then I'll, I'll get the lead cow hammering that, looking for me. Yeah. I've had that happen a few times. And you made a good point earlier in the podcast about using the separated or lost calf. And that works good. It's just, you know, because calves do more of a chirp than a mew. And so you just kind of, you know, repeat it fairly quick when you're doing it. And a calf is more of a kind of. They make that kind of a sound. And if you sped it up. You know, anything like that, you know, when it gets rapid, it shows, uh, needs assistance, needs help. And, and, and so that's what they're doing. Whereas a, a mew is, it's got more maturity to it. And there's just a little older cows all, but anything like that, it just, it seems to play on the maternal instincts of a cow is what it does. It doesn't have to be mom. It could be any cow that will come and usually try to assist this, assist that calf. But as far as the contact buzz, the mews, the pants, and then, as, 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 to make a glunk, you can do it a lot of different ways. And for you guys out there, if you take a three-quarter inch piece of plastic PVC, it's real thin walled. It's only a sixteenth of an inch thick. It's not as thick as as the bigger inch and a half stuff. And if you take a piece of that about eight inches, it makes some of the most awesome glunks you ever heard. They are so realistic. Me, I do it with my mouth. I'm just doing it with my my lips like I'm spitting a hair off because the elk don't care how perfect it is. And I'm just trying to, to again, plant that seed. And it's just, I'm kind of going. And see, and you can regulate it. One, two, five, one, you know, and that's what glunking does when a bull's glunking. He has nothing rhythmic, predictable about it. He might go. I mean, so 
That's all you have to do. You're planting the seed. He's tasting it all. And that is one of the sounds that just triggers him. And so by doing that, along with the raking, the foot stomps, the right, you know, hitting, thrashing things around, you're really making the noise out there. Like there's a couple of elk, uh, 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 you know, messing around and he's trying to corral her and hurt her, heard her, not hurt her, but heard her. And mm. he's, he's courting her. And so, those are the things he's going through. So opening week of season, you're going to these places and, and trying to find sign, and then you're doing your cold calling setups. How long are you staying uh, in these cold calling setups if they're not paying off? And how far are you moving to, to the next one? And, and are you, how many of these are you getting? Are you doing them in all the way through the whole day and noon, one, two, three o'clock? Are you just doing them all day long? Like, what does that look like for you guys? Well, see, for us, we don't even use them <laughs> because we're not after cows and spikes and stuff like that. So we kind of stay away from it because it just attracts those. And we're more into looking for the bull. So we're going to either – I would even use the slow play in a cold calling sequence before I'd use the cold calling sequence. You see what I'm saying? Because okay. I'm targeting bulls. And right. this is much more after bull and bulls first. That or an advertising sequence will pull in bulls so much faster. Than the unwanted. So but you're doing you're, so you're doing the advertising mostly through uh, first week of season. That and I, I will also throw the slow play in if I really feel there's bulls right there, because I just love doing it, you know, and 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 it just calls elk in. <laughs> I mean, it, it really does. Usually, I do not use the advertising just so we know we're on the same page. And I even mention it in the app in the video. I generally do not use the advertising sequence until I know there's a bull there. I heard him bugle. Yeah. I heard him bugle half a mile away, and he won't bugle again. He won't say nothing. And so I try to get as close as I can, and maybe it's only a couple hundred yards or 300 because I don't know where he is. It was so far away, but he won't make another sound if I sat there half an hour. Nothing. So, see, I'm not going to the slow play on him because I don't even know where he is. I don't even know if I'm close enough for him to hear me. So I go straight to the advertising bugle, and I will stay with that advertising bugle for you know, 20, 25 minutes, but stay there at least 40, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. Just depends on the situation, but I will wait there. The cold calling, I will, I will troll with the cold calling if I don't know where the elk are. One thing I have found is that a lot of guys will say, Oh, you have to have fresh sign before you set up. And that's great. Believe me, fresh sign is great, but it's not always there. And so a lot of times if I get into areas where my sound's carrying really well, half three quarters of a mile, I'm like, these elk could be anywhere over in this direction. I'm just not there. I'm going to set up. This is a good spot. It's really going to reach out there. I'm not only hitting 150, 200 yards and that's it. No, I'm hitting way good and it can pull elk from such a long way. I mean, I've pulled elk a long ways away uh, using this type of a, a calling system, and they just come wandering over. Sometimes these elk come thundering in like a herd of elephants. You'll hear them hundreds of yards away on a dead run right at you. Other times, you look up 20 yards away, there's an elk standing there like it was dropped from a helicopter. Have you ever even heard it? Nothing. There it is. You're getting up because you're bored and saying there's nothing, and we're going to move on, and there's elk standing right there. Like, what the? So, How did they do that? But they do, do you think? Do you think it's a, a uh, mistake to be going out and just doing locating bugles and waiting and then moving on and just locating, uh, you know, throughout the day as you're trying to find elk? Not if you're after bulls only. Okay. If you're after bulls only, that's one of my strategies as well, is I will mix up my bugles, you know, with location bugles. Sometimes I'll even get more aggressive 
to get something to fire off if I think they're there. I'll even lead off with a lip ball sometimes. You got to remember why is a bull showing that kind of emotion? It's usually because a cow's coming in heat. There's some sort of a warning. Something's going on. So a location bugle is good because it can have anything answer you. Whereas when you start hammering lip balls, a lot of times the only thing you're really going to get to respond is a bull that has cows. That's about it. But if that's all you're after, then you really don't care about the other lesser bulls. So see, it depends on your target. And a lot of times you can get something to answer. uh, Maybe a, a satellite will answer down in a basin. And then all of a sudden two or three answer him. They were saying nothing to you at first. So you never know what you can trigger. And that's why a lot of times when I'm, when I'm locating, if I get into an area that I just know dang well there's some elk hearing me down in here, I may get creative and maybe even hit that contact buzz and just scream it through my bugle and then bugle over it. I mean, whatever it takes to get something to say, we're down here. That's what I need to know. It's like glassing big opening areas. All you're trying to do is find them through your glass. You're not trying to call them to you with your glass. You just want to know where they're at. So if I can find them and I know they're in there, depending on if, how long it took me to get down in there, did I hear any additional bugles or hear any cow calling, it may say, okay, I need to slow play this one or nope, I'm going straight to advertising or whatever it is. See, that it's going to tell me what I need to do by the time I make my way down if nothing's going on or if something is going on. But so early the slow, in the season, the slow play is just painting painting a picture that, I have that a hot cow. you got a hot cow. Yeah, you better believe it, and it's deadly as deadly can be. You know that second bull that Paul ended up having a tag, and he ended up. He said, "Dad, we're on it. We we went to we're we're there in Wyoming, and we have the longbow." And he says, "Dad, he goes, man, he goes, my confidence is shattered." I says, "Really?" He says, yeah, he says, when I hit that limb, it just tore me up, man. I, I almost didn't want to go after that bull the second time with a longbow. I said, what? You're kidding me. He goes, no, it just killed me. That, oh, I almost lost that bull because he says, with a compound, I slipped it, slipped it right through. And I said, yeah, but, the, you know, that's all right. I mean, the, the, the longbow will get it done, you know, and he knows it would. But he just said, man, it just it killed my confidence to, to take it to Wyoming. And so that's kind of what happened right there. On that, on, on that Wyoming hunt, he just, it, it, it really messed him up inside temporarily. And now today he's not like that. He's like, Oh man, I like the, the long, but I'd like to go do it again now. And so do you guys ever get like that? Did that ever happen to you? Uh, no, no, I, I, I I've never the, had it happen to me. Yeah. I <laughs> no, mean, I but I mean, any, anything can happen with any weapon. So do you understand his feeling though? Can you, oh, can you yeah. sympathize with it? If you can't say so, be honest. I'm just wondering. No. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Especially, you know, we both bow hunted with compounds and traditional and, and yeah. it's very important, you know, Paul, when you, when you're hunting with a stick bow, the mental part is as important as anything else. And if your confidence yeah. is down, it, it's, you're not in a good place. So I, I feel yeah, you, for him. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you can't, have, you if, you, your, if you, if you go your... in, start. Go in to shoot at something and you think you're going to miss with a stick bow, you're probably going to miss, right? So. Yeah, you know, and that and that's a good point. It's like golfing and don't hit the water. Don't hit the water. You hit the water. <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah. you yeah, know you, with the golf ball. You have, you have but, a lot of uh, uh, things built into a compound, you know, your back wall, your yeah. peep, your sight. You have a lot of things you can rely on. Yeah. And with the stick bow, I think like Bob said, you're only as good as your last shot. And so – <laughs> that's why I, I think that's why we stump shoot so much while we're hunting and why we and have to shoot. Same thing. Yeah, yeah, we were doing that. and But, yeah, it was just 
that one thing stepped on his toes and that doubt crept up that mm-hmm. I'd never seen in, you know, that was his 27th bull with a bow. Jeez, I mean, it wasn't wow. like the kids never killed anything. <laughs> and that was his fourth bull with a long bow or recurve. The rest were all compounds. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, this is one of my first elk. Shoot, this guy kills more elk than most people probably everywhere. And he just turned 40. Wow. So he's put a lot of it down, but it was just even. So look at it, somebody with that kind of experience. And he still felt that, you know what? I don't feel good about it. I don't think I should be taking it and, and, and mess something up because his mind wasn't in, 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 you know, it just wasn't there with it. And then I ended up calling that bull in and he shot at 17 yards. <laughs> so you just never know, but it, it was just. I think when you can upgrade to a weapon, I see a lot of guys that will go out uh, with a rifle and a bow on a certain hunt wanting to use the bow. But, man, you get your confidence shook a little bit, and it's it's easy to to uh, pull out the, the greater weapon and, and get it done, I suppose, for was, some hey, guys. Paul, was he a little bummed when uh, that bull came in to 17 yards? Was he saying, ah, I could have shot that with a longbow? I, you know, I don't know if he was bummed, but he did make that comment. Yeah. Yeah, he, did, yeah. he did make the comment that this should have been a slam dunk. And <laughs> and we were even at camp, you know, at one point where he was shooting the longbow, and he was shooting it really good. And it was just, ah, oh, man, he says. And yeah. I said, you know what? It's your choice. You know, I'm not going to tell you you have to do this or that. I mean, you know what you're feeling. I mean, no more than I want you telling me, here's what I should shoot. You know, right. where's my yeah. confidence, you know? And right. I want to make sure he makes a good shot on an animal and, and, and whatnot. Cause you never know, but the story on that bull, oh man, that thing. I, you know, I try to show people a lot of stuff. I get a lot of emails and guys will say, man, I just drew this great tag, Paul. Okay. Yeah. And what does that tell you immediately? I'm after a good bull, right? I mean, usually everybody says that I drew a good tag. I'm after a good bull, but I keep coming in this, in these situations where I have a 330, 360 bull, which is a good bull compared to what they've been hunting. And there's cows all in front of them, or there's three satellites or four, and they're bugling everywhere there. And I, what do I do? I can't get through. I can't, I can't kill this bull. How do I get to him? I don't want, you know, to bump these. So I share thoughts with people and I say, here's what I do. And I open the corridor and that's what I call it. Here's how I open the corridor straight to that bull and kill that bull. And so. You know, one of the things I've done just in a nutshell, and I think it's really good for a podcast like this and others is this is not something I share all the time. But one of the ones, one of the things I do is I bugle my way to that bull. Why do I do that? Because it pushes the satellites out of the way and the cows. They don't like it. How many times do you ever get a bull bugle you at 500 yards and you bugle every 50 yards to that bull? How many times do you stay there and let you kill him? Like never, never. never. <laughs> they, they Hasn't worked for me yet. <laughs> oh, I mean, we all did it. Made that mistake of bugling our way. Oh, he's right there, and he bugling, I bugling, he bugling. He keeps staying three or four hundred yards. I can't get any closer. And you try cow calling, you bugle, you do everything, and he just keeps putting the distance. You tell him where you're at, and he keeps putting the distance. So years ago, we started using this against him. And if we wanted to try to get to a herd bull, whether it was a good tag or not, we just want the herd bull being over the counter, and there's satellites in the way, or we spot cows. Crap, there's six cows right there. He's on the other side of them. All right, let's get back to 300. We're going to chase those cows out of there. And I bugle my way to the cows. Bull doesn't move. When he's got several bulls bugling him already, you think he's going to run from you? He's not running from them. He's at his bedding area. 
Those three bulls are harassing the crap out of them. Maybe they've been harassing them for an hour. I don't know. I came up on the scene, and there they are, going like crazy in the timber. So when I introduce a bugle, they don't run. The herd bull doesn't go anywhere. So as I bugle my way to them, though, the herd bulls part like the Red Sea. They just do. They won't stay there. And neither do the cows. They get up and move out of the way. They don't run off. They just move. They kind of go back into the timber, to the left, to the right, around the bull, and the herd bull stays right there. He's not running from you bugling your way up. No more than he ran from those three bulls who were standing there harassing him for how long. And I figured this out years ago. I can open up a doorway by bugling my way right to him. It just pushes him aside. And now I can get in there and do my thing, whatever I think it is. Do I need to give a couple cow calls, scream over it, try to call his cows away? Do I get in and immediately just challenge him? Do I cow call, wait for him, invite me and run at him? I mean, my, 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 my options are endless. He will tell me what he wants when I get in there. I could give him four or five cow calls and him say nothing. Zero. So see, okay, he doesn't give a crap about those. I'm not going to push it. You see what I mean? I let it go. And so now I'm going to go in there and I'm going to just really hammer him hard with that bugle. This is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to come out with a challenge and see. And I still can, I can climb the bar because I can still lip ball him. So now I'm going to see what his feeling is on the, on the challenge. And I notice many times it is the challenge. You don't have to say anything else. The challenge and you're already very close. Oh, he comes unglued. And if you run at him, I've had bulls just sit there and, and call to me or I would sit there when that, when I go back to a challenge and here he comes down the mountain. And I mean close. We're only 60, 70 yards. Here he comes racing right at me. He doesn't like the idea. I'm right there where his cows were. He doesn't know all the cows left. He knows they're milling around and dinking, but he doesn't know what happened. When I bugle right there, I've also went ahead and bugled and him say nothing. Cow called, hardly nothing. And maybe he just give me a kind of a little growl. And so what did I do? He's only 60 yards. I have a cover. I've cow called my way right to him. Run at him. Cow call. I don't let him start thinking about it because he's not answering anything now. He just made a little bit of a sound. I know where he is. Now I'm just cow calling right at him. Just, yeah, 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 and running at him. He's not going anywhere. He's staying right there. He just thinks one of the cows is running up there. And that, that has given me the edge I needed to put an arrow right in him before he would take off. Cause I knew if I sat there, how many times have we sat there and bugled and he shut up and he's just right there and you bugle and you bugle and you bugle and you cow call you and he's saying nothing. Next thing you know, what does he do? He's gone. He drifts right out of there. He just, he's got suspicious what happened. So I'm constantly evaluating, hit my microphone there, constantly evaluating the situation, trying to see what can I do? What can I do? Cause I don't want him to get away. But most of the time, the bugle when you're in that tide, pure money, pure money. It's just, you know, he comes unglued at it. And basically on this bull right here, on that, that larger bull, I ended up I was pushing him away. I was using this technique. I was pushing him because he was in our way. We heard him make a little bugle as we were going up the mountain. And this bull, all he did was just make a couple little squeals. And I'm like, that thing is nothing, Paul. We don't want that bull. So I gave a short little bugle just to see, and he answered immediately. He's like 300 yards ahead of me. I'm like, crap, I don't want this. We need to get up into the where real serious hunting is on, in this Wyoming tag. So I started bugling. Going right at him, bugling, 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 and it just started pushing him. And he pushed, and he pushed. And now we've gone, I don't know, well over a quarter of a mile pushing him away. And we come across his burn. There's a burned opening, and it was like five acres. And he's on the other side of it. I can't see him. He's in the timber. And I think, hey, Paul, there's a bird right here. We came out of this thick timber into this little burn. I go, well, let me see if I can call him back. And we'll at least see him now. Because now that we see where he is, we can get around him if we need to. So 
<clears throat> I got back a little bit, and I thought, okay, I'm going to try to call the bull over now. So the next time he bugled, because he would just bugle sporadically, he bugled over there, and I immediately just hit him with a contact buzz that there was a cow there to come on over. And when I did, he answered instantly, instantly. And the next thing you know, he walked to the edge of the timber, and I can't see him. I'm in the timber. Paul's on the on the big beginning of it, and if he's glassing, I see Paul glassing, and he looks over at me and he goes, "Dad, that's a really good bull." I said, "No way." <laughs> I'm thinking this little four point was going to pop out. I'm not kidding you. He goes, no, dad, that's a really good bull. And I mean, how do you question your son who just shot his 27th bull? I mean, you know, and he's killed some really nice bulls and well over 300. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to run up there and look. If he says it's a good bull, I'm going to try to bring this bull in. So I give him a few more contact buzzes and the bull bugles again. And so I get back in the brush and I go back from Paul, maybe 30 yards, and I go ahead and start playing. He knows that he heard that bull earlier. I start raking and raking a little bit. I start panting, give a couple glunks, and now I just give a short little lazy bugle out of my – I'm talking to this cow. So I just go through a real quick version of a slow play. And when I did, that bull bugled instantaneous, and I see Paul kind of tighten up, and I'm thinking – that bull's starting to come over here now. I'm giving him a reason to come over. And so I start playing it up a little bit more. All of a sudden, I hear him bugle 100 yards away. And I mean, it was fierce bugle. And so I hit the contact buzz again real quick, trying to call him over, bring him over. And as soon as I do, he answers me instantly, and I scream a challenge right over him. And when I did, he must have unleashed the biggest bugle. And this guy started from a nothing. He unleashed the largest bugle, and I was like, oh, my God, that is a good bull. But how do you size a rack up? By hearing it, it was just yeah. I knew, oh, my God, this is a good bull. This is a good And I see my son tightening up, tightening up on his release. He's got his release on his compound. And I slip back a little bit more because I see Paul turning to his right real slow. And I'm like, oh, crap, I need to get behind Paul a little bit more. So I get behind him trying to make sure the bull comes to his side, and I start raking, raking, and the bull just screams a challenge this time. You guys want to know what the ultimate one is when you want to you piss a ball off to the yeah, ultimate? Yeah, let's hear it. Absolutely. <laughs> this is what you do. When I gave him this sound, he ran straight down the hill. It was kind of very little downhill, but he ran straight to Paul and stopped at 17 and just screamed at me. As a matter of fact, Paul, when he when I went back and talked to him, he said, I thought that ball was going to run right through all that and right at you he wasn't done coming he said and i'm right now i'm only 35 yards away but i can't see the bull i, I picked you know a really good tight spot i need him to come looking for me so paul can have a close shot well i see paul almost getting ready to draw before that bull runs and i mean i knew that this bull's coming and so as soon as he hit that spot all i did was take my bugle and, I, and when he bugled i knew this was going to be the last sound he heard he went <laughs> and when i did that is when he ran when you hit him with that one little nervous grunt it's a calling him out i like drawing a line in the sand that's what it is it's just you want to see that bull get over here if you think you're mad that's what what i did with that sound (laughs) and he he, they've done it to me they came into that certain point and hit me with that one and just scream and that's that is the ultimate of a really the, – the biggest sound other than, you know, he could have done a lip ball. He could have done whatever he wanted. But when he hits you with that one grunt and he comes over the top, and when I hit him with that, here he came. It was it. That was it. He flew in and Paul shot him at 17 yards. And by the time I could run to my son, I heard it. I mean, I heard – I mean, you know, you hear that, that arrow hit. It was so close from a compound. And by the time I ran over and got to my son, I could hear the death moan. I could hear the bull go – 
Oh, you know, and I was like, well, what was it? I mean, I still never saw this bull. <laughs> he goes, Dad, it's a really good bull. He goes, I know he's over 300 inches. I said, well, that was it because we told ourselves, you know, we talked about it, him and I, you know, we need to get kind of a groundwork of what are you going to do here? And I said, personally, if you find a bull that's 300 plus, I mean, you know, yeah, we want to shoot a 350. Who doesn't? But, man, that's a pretty good bull for this area. Because it wasn't like, you know, greatest elite tag, but it was a good tag. And so he said, yeah, he said, it's definitely 300. So I walk up, we walk, follow the lecture, we get over there. And I look at that thing, I go, oh my God, that is way over 300. Anyway, we were real excited for that one, but we taped him out and he was 345 and 4.8. Wow. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That 20 awesome. minutes of the hunt. Wow. <laughs> And so, but it was so awesome. Yeah, we actually had seen, when I say it was early like that, but we had seen some other elk crossing as we got over to this area because we were on a, on a side by side. And you have to in Wyoming. If you ever hunted some of these units, you can't take your truck out there. I mean, it's, you, they got all these little roads that you can take your four wheeler side by side on. And that's what we had. And so we had scouted the area, like I said, and been in there. So we knew kind of where we wanted to be. And once we hit this timber, that's where we ended up, but, you know, working the magic. But just from his first bugle, I would have walked by that. If there wasn't for that opening, we would have just chased that bull off and went around and kept going, trying to find something more mature sounding. But this bull right here, I'm going to say it was September the 8th or 9th because Paul killed that one. Then we waited a little bit. Then we went back to Wyoming. And that's what Junior me. Junior wrapped it up early this last season, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, we had so much fun, and when, then we went, you know, and we were calling for others and doing. There was there was just so much stuff happening, and then the weather hit. Do you guys remember that weather hitting yeah. in the Idaho last year? The last ten or twelve days, mm-hmm. the snows hit. The weather was so bad you could hardly even get out there. I mean, I've never seen anything like it in forty years of being there in that area. I have never seen. The end of a September like that. It snows all the time, but nothing like that. Yeah. It was absolutely crazy. I, I have had a lot of people ask me if that was normal here, but did it, you guys run into that? No, I didn't. Uh, I, I live on, on the ocean, so we don't get snow where I, where I live, but I did see that like uh, Idaho and Montana and stuff sure got dumped on. Yeah, it was crazy. Are you going to be hunting with Bob this year? Are you guys going together on some of those hunts? No. no, Bob's uh, Bob's uh, got uh, his Nevada bull tag and his right. Arizona tag, and he'll be going with his dad and uh, brother and stuff. And uh, I'm going to stay on the Oregon coast and hunt Roosevelt's. I'm not even going to go to Eastern Oregon this year. And uh, me and Bob have a special Oregon mule deer tag in November together. So, so you guys have a pretty full agenda then. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Bob's, what do you, you you're going to be hunting elk for six weeks, huh, Bob? Five, five weeks, yeah. Take off. Yeah. Thursday and I don't have to come back till October. <laughs> huh. Well, you know what? <clears throat> Between know when to use a slow play just for, cause it's such a good technique. You, you know, if you, if you run into a nice bowl with some cows and there's just no bugling and you see where they go or you have an idea, you can get within a couple hundred yards. The slow play absolutely will kick his butt. I mean, it just, it'll bring that bull out of there. That's how we kill half of our bulls with a slow play. They're not saying anything. And then the other half, they are talking. And so we don't go into the slow play. But one of my favorite techniques, <clears throat> you say there's going to be two of you, but one of my favorite techniques that we use that 
guys don't. I watch them on video after video after video blowing hunts because the elk aren't cooperating in their terms. And I'll tell you, here's what it is. You remember this one because, Bob, this could really make a big difference on your hunt. You're going to get into bulls where you they do have a hot cow, and you're going to get in some screaming matches where you sit back. And, and and when I say sit back, you might be 100 yards, 125, because maybe it's a little more open there, and you can't get that real close proximity because mm-hmm. of just the terrain doesn't allow for it. But there's enough cover that you can do something, but it's not 60-yard do something. So a lot of times you're going to get that bull, and you're going to give those few cow sounds, and he rips off on him, and you give him a bugle, and he's going to be kind of lethargic on it. You're going to see these p- points when he's not. And you give him a cow sounds and you scream your bugle over it and he comes running in. That's wonderful. But here's where these guys go wrong. I was watching videos just the other day and I just shake my head. That's what the problem is with these guys. So many of these bulls, when they got these cows, these bigger bulls, and you lead off with the cow call and he answers it. And there's two hunters. I mean, many of those I'm watching, there's three and four hunters, a guy videoing, guy calling, guy going in, two shooters. I mean, they got all kinds of crap going on, but they're playing it wrong. That's why they're not killing them and they're leaving and they say, oh, here's what happened. Well, this is how you kill this sucker. <clears throat> what we do, and usually it's just my son and I, what we do when we get that bull and he answers that cow call and, and we answer a bugle or he responds, but he won't budge. And then sometimes he won't answer the bugle, but he answers that cow call most every time. What we do is we keep the bugler right here, and now the shooter goes in cow calling his way. He doesn't have to cow call like he's accepting the invite. He can be very soft and just meow, 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 and make his way in and have 15, 30 seconds of pause. Meow, make one as you're moving in, crack, pop things. Meow, meow, you know, you're not trying to call the bull to you. You're going to him. Remember that. So you're not using the contact buzz and you're not using the regathering mute because you're not trying to bring him to you. You already know he's not going to come. He's already showed you that hand. He's staying with his cows. And so by the time you start working your way and the, and me as the bugler, I'm trying to call my cow back. You've already introduced both of them already and he's not coming. So as that cow is leaving, choosing the other bull and this other bull is now talking to this cow almost all the way in. And this is what he does. He gets excited. He starts chuckling, giving her the roundup and he's calling her. He's getting more excited as she's getting closer and closer. I'm trying to call my cow back. And I'm hitting a roundup. I'm even hitting even notes into the challenge. Why do I hit those notes? Because it's no more than an emotional call and a name that us hunters have tagged on it. What it's showing is, is his displeasure, his anger, because she's not paying attention. He's scolding her. It can be at the level of a challenge. It can be at the level of a lip ball. So don't think that because we say challenge, oh, you can't challenge a cow. No, it's an emotional sound to elk make. We're just putting names to it. So don't get that messed up in your head. You want to be able to creep up in that tone. Try to hammer back two or three real fast with the roundup, and she's not coming. She's choosing the other bull. And so, man, you're getting mad, and you're raking and raking, trying to display for your cow to get back, and you scream him in some obscenities. You start panting through the bugle. You're not glunking. It's too far for all that. You're panting. You're hitting it hard. I mean, you're even kind of giving those huffs. Kind of. You're trying to let her know. You see, you're you're expressing yourself. You want your cow back. You're not even talking to the bull. You're talking to your cow. And man, it just cements the idea that that cow is real. It's coming to that bull that you really do want to kill. And man, and if there's three and you work in bulls that are getting hammered, what you do is you have your bugler, then you have a middle guy. 
He's doing all your cow calling. And you, the shooter, stay 25 to 30 yards in front of your cow caller. The bull doesn't have no idea you're there because you've not made a sound. The only cow sounds he hears is the center guy. And so you play those games, man. We use them all on these bulls that get hit hard in these close proximities. See, you don't have to go to and use stuff like this if you're hunting bulls that hard to see any people. You don't. You don't have to go through all that. But when you hunt these pressured elk and they've seen this and this and this and this, this is something they have not seen. And so they're not used to trying to reason it out to a degree to trying to figure out that there's a suspicious or a problem here. So these are some of these little things we incorporate. We're not just a slow play. We're not just a challenge him in his face. We're not just a cow caller or cold calling. No, you're trying to improvise every little thing that might give you that edge. But some of the best is you keep that bugler back trying to call his cow back. When that bull will not cooperate and come to you. I watched one just two days ago where four hunters were out there. One was video and I, the guy was bugling and he would answer that cow call every time. And every time he bugled, he gave nothing, nothing. They hammered this bull for almost two minutes. Every time he cow called, that bull would come unglued and he never advanced. All they had to do was take that shooter and cow call his way to the bull. And if that bugler would have started trying to call his cow back, they would have killed that bull or had a great opportunity as it were. All of them left and took off out of the area because a cow, he was trying to call the cow to him. Cow wouldn't come. And they knew something was wrong. They'd been there before. These elk aren't stupid. And so when you, and it was, you know, a pressured area that I was watching. So when you get into those areas, man, be able and willing to improvise so quick. And I've been in that situation, you guys, where I was the cow caller and I ran in and all of a sudden I was still 50 yards away from a bull and there's cows right there. Oh, man, they're right there. I didn't know they were there. They were just to the side. What did I do to kill the bull? Screamed a bugle right in his face, right there. I all of a sudden had to become a caller. So now I'm ready for these things. Why? Because years ago, man, I've been caught in all these things. didn't know what the hell to do and lost the whole thing. I mean, what are you going to do? The bull, cows are going to start running from you any second. You start cow calling and, and hope a bull comes running. You mean you get flustered is what happens. And so after enough times... I have found that if I bugle in his face, I'm right there and his cows go running, just and I'm trying to call the cows back. He's going to just unleash it over the top of me. And when I do now, I'm going to challenge him and usually it's game over. That's it. Here he comes because you're right there on top of him. He doesn't know where all the cows are. He knows you're there as a bull. First, there was a cow running to him. Now there's a bull. I mean, you know, you, they don't think like humans. They're animals. And those are some of the things you have to be ready for. If some, you know, a wrench gets thrown into things, you see that playbook cover. Yeah, that's a that's a really nice 321 inch over the counter Idaho bull. That is exactly what happened on that bull. I was actually keeping that bull bugling as my son and Clayton went in on the bull. I kept them going. I stayed back and they ended up being my God. I don't even know five, six hundred yards, maybe higher all the way up the mountain until I kept bugling the bull. And he would answer me every minute or so until they finally got in there. They finally got close enough. And the story was. They got within that 40 or 50 yard range. They could see the bull the last time he bugled me and they could see his legs is what they saw. They couldn't see him. And all of a sudden there was two cows and a spike standing to the right. They never saw him and they took off. As soon as he did, my son was fast enough, smart enough because he was behind Clayton. And that was Clayton's first bull ever with a recurve. And yeah, he shot him with a recurve. I guess I could have told you that. But anyway, so I'm so Paul said as soon as he saw those cows took up, he grabbed Shane Clayton in the back and he shoved him forward. He said, get up to that tree, hurry, fast, fast, get ready. And Clayton's like, what, what, what? He don't even know what the hell's going on. And he runs up to the tree 
grabs an arrow, and Paul just screams a bugle, and that bull flew in, and Clayton ended up shooting him at point blank, because the cows ran, the bull didn't know why he ran, and when Paul unleashed that scream, and what was so funny was where I was way back keeping the bull, I heard him bugle. I went, oh man, something just happened, because I know Paul, he's not going to bugle for nothing. And when he did, well, you saw the picture of it. He killed it. He shot <laughs> him actually awesome. high. He shot him high. He was so nervous that when the bull come running in, he said the bull came in to under 10 yards, broadside. And Clayton, when he went to draw back, he was shaking so bad he could not shoot. And the bull saw him and turned and ran. And as soon as the bull ran, Paul hit him with a nervous grunt is actually what happened. And he just went, Real fast with his bugle, you know, with his reed in his mouth, and the bull stopped and turned, and Clayton was able to get it together enough and fire that arrow, the same arrow still on his bow, and fired it and hit him high in the lungs on the right hand side of the lungs, and the bull ran straight down the mountain, and I ended up going up there, but we tracked him pretty fast, and but the point was, you never know these little things that happen. So so awesome. You or your caller, man, you guys got to be on your game. If some little thing happens, man, you got to. You have to be ready. Man, Paul, I don't know if I'm going to make it to Saturday. I am just <laughs> ready to go get out there right now. I'm just freaking out. I'm freaking out. I'm so jacked up. Yeah, and, and, and that was a, and Clayton was shooting a 525 grain arrow with a, you, do you know those old Zwickies where they just kind of bend the bleeder blade out yeah, of the main yeah. blade? That's what he was shooting one of those. And, but he had them all sharpened up really, really well, but he was shooting that one. And, uh, it's funny. I just think back on that because when we do hunt with our longbows, cause we still do longbows and recurve, the three of us now, we've taken 16 bulls with between the wow. longbow and recurve and, awesome. and, and plus all the compounds. And it seems like we actually look back. We're talking the other day at those old wikis like, why did we use those things? And, and there's nothing wrong with them. Don't get me wrong, but there's so many other cool heads these days, <laughs> you know, that are out there. It's like, wow, man, I love this head and I love this head. And, and the only reason Paul shot that snuffer, that Rothar, because he says, we've never hunted with it. And I had like two dozen of them here. And he says, Dad, he goes, I want to hunt with that. And I've killed several with the snuffer SS. I really like that one. I killed one with the silver flame. And then, uh, oh, my goodness, Magnus Stinger we've killed them with. And, uh, you know, the Sirocco? Yeah. It's got the replace. That was Paul's favorite one. That's what he's killed three bulls with. And that thing is a wide cut. I mean, that thing must be at least an inch and a quarter, if not bigger. And it's, it's, it was a really, really good cause Paul's caught, kill all his with cedar shafts and I've never shot one with a cedar shaft. Oh, I'm always awesome. use, using the, the, I just like carbon. I don't know. Maybe I cheat, but no, so, him and Clay all shoot cedar. That's, that's all they awesome. both do. That's yeah. awesome. So, so, uh, in closing, I got one last question for you, Paul, before we wrap this oh, one up. Okay. Um, my, I know that you've been doing this for 30 some years. My, my kind of last question, uh, is, what kind of epiphany or new idea did you come up in 2017 season? I, I know you're learning something. We all learn every year, every season. What What is one little thing you picked up on, on elk behavior or calling or whatever that you, that you may have learned in 2017? Man, you know, it's, it's not so much the sounds and stuff because a lot of times it's just I'm refreshing my memory from things we used to do. But if, if I were to put my finger on one thing that I would say that's making us better hunters and that maybe it even made a bigger statement for 2017 is I seem to be more patient. And, and seriously, and I think being patient 
these days in the right situations is more powerful than the best calling you could ever do in your life. Sometimes you, we just don't allow things to develop or we try to be too fast in our movement or in our, and in my case, it would be too fast in my calling. I'm giving too many sounds sometimes, even though it still works out. I can still tell that I need to slow that down, be patient. Because when you listen to the real elk in some of those similar situations, you'll notice that their sounds are more hesitant and more spread apart. But we get so impatient sometimes that they're not saying something. And so we want to give a sound right now. You know what I mean? And that's, and, and so to me, I think one of my greatest virtues right now, and I think that that helps us to call more elkin, is I'm being more patient in waiting to allow things to play out, and the elk aren't actually just running away from me because I haven't said anything in ten seconds. So I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but that, that to me is so huge. That makes a lot of sense. My uh, my takeaway from this podcast definitely um, was. Just that is, is you, you displaying these patients. Like, I think when you watch a lot of elk videos, they have to edit them. And so it looks like they bugled and then they shot the bull a minute later. And like these stories you shared with us today, um, you know, the slow play, it, generally these situations take two, three hours or, you know, to uh, evolve, uh, while you're making this, this work. And I think the new guys that are listening should realize that, um, it does take time and you need, you need to be patient in your setups. And, and I think that I definitely need to implement more patience. And so, yeah, this was a great podcast. I appreciate your time, Paul. Yeah, no problem. But yeah, blind cold calling creative sequences, they can take, you know, that one hour creative. You're more into the bedding area where the elk are going to be anchored for most of the day. Most of the cold calling is around the feeding areas. So you're really only trolling with that like twice in the morning. Because they're already on the move and they're leaving those feeding areas. So what good is it to keep calling there if they're going to a bedding area? Now, if you have elk that are anchored in a specific area for feeding and bedding, you have a captive audience for a long time. So you can remain there for hours. And I've actually done this years ago. Uh, I mean, for many years, but it's been a while since I've done it. But we would sit there and even in a two and three hour time frame, we would have different elk keep coming and leaving, coming and leaving. So don't think, oh, once elk come and they leave, if they don't really, if they just wander off on their own, keep it up. Yeah. Other elk come. So yeah. don't think, oh, I got to leave now. No. And if you, they, and if you bump come. elk that don't smell you, the That's game right. is not over. No. And so you have to always be alert because, you know, it seems like after 10 minutes, I take a lot of people hunting. After 10 minutes, I see them get fidgety. And their legs are crampy and they're tired and they're moving and they're taking their arrow off their, their, I mean, they're just dinking and they're rooting through their pack. They're moving their hat. They're stopping to take a shirt off because now they're warm or they're putting one. You can't do those things. Yeah. You have to be so rigid and, and, and confident these elk are going to come because they don't always run in. Sometimes they're slipping in. And if they yeah, see this I, movement, you're in trouble. Absolutely. I, I, I uh I, I think you can have the best camouflage in the world, but if if you're moving, it's it's game over. You got to stay still. And yes, it gives up. you and slow play. You know, usually you're looking at thirty minutes or less. Okay. Okay. So slow play is like thirty minutes or less. Blind cold callings. You know, one hour here. The rest is infinity once you're in the bedding area sure. and you know they're there. Uh, and I also like to tell people, you know, a lot of guys will go, "Should I call around a water hole?" Should I call around uh, a, a wallow or things, little destination areas? 
because I've had a camera there and I know when they're coming. You know, when you're in those areas and you know what time frame some of these elk are coming in, yeah, I wouldn't be calling much. They're already going to show it. They should. But outside those times, say they've been coming in at 9 in the morning, but you've gone, you want to sit there all day. Should you call? You know what? Absolutely. You know why? Because people get such tunnel vision and they think, okay, here's where my camera's been for a month and I've only got these elk right here. Well, do you think that there's no other elk that could be in the area that they're not walking by your camera? Yes. Lots more. We have cameras in areas every year and kill bulls. I mean, within hundreds of yards of these cameras that have never been on the camera. So my point is, is you can reach out vocally and find elk that were never walking on that bench, but you could bring them down. Because of whatever technique or sequence that you're, you're using. So don't be so locked in your head and tunnel vision wise that the only thing in your area is what you see on your camera. No. Expand your thoughts. There's a lot more elk out there that are within, you know, hearing range than you think. So it, and it doesn't hurt to call from your, from your spot no more than you would from a cold calling spot. And right. I like calling from some of those areas and, 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 and trying to draw something in. So it just, you know, to each his own. But something to consider. So, yeah. So if you guys like calling elk or want to learn more about calling elk uh, or, you know, just want to expand your knowledge on calling elk, uh, Paul's got DVDs, books, CDs. I have them all. He makes awesome uh, bugle tubes. I have all those also. Um, and now he's got the new app. And so everybody's got a smartphone. What's the app? I think it's like $10 and you can get everything we're talking about and a whole lot more uh paul makes it really easy to understand um you know get the app get the book cds uh paul why don't you just tell everybody where we can find you how we can get the app yeah and and we're just adding the slow play and nine more tactics on there this week so everybody that already has it, get over there and download this stuff. If you have an Android, I think it's automatic. But if you have an iPhone, you have to go to your app store. But it'll be there by the end of this week. So get all the slow play. I have it in detail and nine more tactics on there for various situations. Much of what we talked about here, but even others that we didn't. Uh, so, and as far as uh, if you're looking to broaden it even from the app, my suggestion would be go to elknut.com. And get the very first package there. It's zero, zero. And it says something about uh, works well in wolf country. This means that it works anywhere you hunt, including wolf country. But the point is, is between the app and that little threesome in that package, you guys does, will does be Does that ready. include the Worser Than Wolves DVD? Yes, it does. I love that DVD. <laughs> it's and a I good love one. The, and I love the uh, uh, Sounds by the Elk CD. Okay, that one is not part of it, but it can be purchased separately. But in that package, you're going to get the playbook, the volume four, Worst in Wolves, and the Elknet five. And, and that and, is what's in there. And check out the uh, Chuckler. His bugle tube is awesome. I have the homemade one and the Gen one and the Gen two. I, I love Paul's bugles. They're the best. The only problem is that we're out of stock on those. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, fellas. <laughs> yeah. And, and so they will be coming back even newer and better because I have a whole new prototype. But other than that, that is where you can find the information. But that app 
has so much info on it. You need to get the app, and you can record your elk sounds on it. So when you go to hear a challenge bugle by me or a real bull or any bugle a bull makes or any cow sound a cow makes, you're going to see right there under the audio part of it when you're listening to it, a record button. You can record your sound to match it to myself or the real elk for that specific sound right there in front of you and listen back to you and real elk or myself so you can compare and see if you need to make any adjustments. So that is just that one little feature. And we talk about full moon elk hunting, how and when to hunt wallows, water holes, mineral licks. I mean, there's just so much stuff on there. So it's really a good app for, for guys that are wanting to up their game. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we look forward to, uh, hearing how the season goes for you. And, uh, maybe uh, can you leave us with a, uh, a big nasty challenge bugle with some grunts? <laughs> oh, where's all these calls at? I was putting them all away. I'll give you a bugle. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. <laughs> <laughs> Now, learn how to make that one and know when you use it. It's more important, not what does it sound like. When do you use that sound? There it is, boys and girls. Thank you so much, uh, Paul. We appreciate you. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that you guys having me on there. Once again, we'd like to thank the listeners. Don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, or wherever podcasts are found. Check us out on our website, TriQuest.com. If you guys got any questions about the podcast or have any ideas for future podcasts, please send us an email at TradQuestPodcast at gmail.com. And like always, keep up the wind in your face. Pick a spot. Shoot a big old bull elk this September.